Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online Masters of Social Work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. I hate the Irish. I can't get on board. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. This episode of the Sincast is brought to you by NatureBox. Start snacking healthy with NatureBox. Go to naturebox.com slash Sincast for 50% off of your first order. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. It's Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Good morrow, cousins. Yeah. Sorry, my wife's been watching a lot of Jane Austen lately. <laughs> oh, I was like, it's got to be some sort of like, you know, like Downton Abbey or something, something like that. like that. I don't know. Um, I don't pay attention. And uh, from Music Video Sins, Barrett Cher. Uh, greetings. And Did salutations. You greetings? I said good morrow, cousins. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Well, mm-hmm. I'll go with the formal greetings. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And um, so uh, an important day for the Sin cast as we recover a uh, long lost episode that has <laughs> has drifted off to time now is no longer in existence probably i'll tell you what if we get done with this and barrett emails us to tell us the audio demon is back this episode topic is cursed oh yeah cursed mm. and we should never do it again yeah don't even say that um, <laughs> All right. yeah. but uh, about six weeks ago we tried to do the mount rushmore of composers it was a great episode and then it just uh, got fucked up yeah oh my god and uh, so we're going to try to recreate that magic today yeah baby I think that even if we had not done this already, the three, two, one was already super obvious. Yes, mm-hmm. but we should still do it. We should still do it. Yeah. But I, I just want to I just want you to all you guys to know that the reason we know the answer to this is because not because we've already done this episode, no, but because <laughs> it was so freaking obvious <laughs> That you all should be saying his name right now at the end of the three, two, one as well. <laughs> Everybody say it in And that's it. right. And and I hope one day when when Monday when this is published, I'll just suddenly hear out in the distance <laughs> <laughs> the name that we're saying. Thousands right now. of voices cry. Keep your out. Windows that's, open. Right. that's right. So everybody, three, two, one. John, John Williams. Williams. Yeah, that's some good unison shit right yeah, there. Man. I'll be honest, I don't even remember who the other three were for sure i don't either <laughs> but i knew john williams was one yeah before we even recorded the first episode yeah this guy is a living legend mm-hmm. yeah right i mean you could he could have stopped somewhere in the late 80s and yep. he would still be probably the first name up there on the rush just because so many of his scores in the late 70s and 80s jaws and superman and star wars and indiana jones are that's like 
five of the most iconic scores ever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You go up to any random movie fan on the street and they'll be able to sing those scores to you. That means something. Right. Yeah. We don't just remember the movies. The music is a part of it. Yeah. And, and it, which is crazy because he's doing a lot of these movies with Steven Spielberg, which they're remembered in their own right. But it, it you can't separate one from the other. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's so embedded into it. And I like the variety that he has with it. Not only, you know, when he goes into like Home Alone and Catch Me If You Can and like whole different other genres mm -hmm. almost. But even within like the E.T. theme versus the Star Wars theme, one has all horns, one has all strings, you know, mm -hmm. and it it's just he has this ability to almost write pop songs, you know, in orchestral format mm -hmm. for movies. It's amazing. It's amazing. This yeah. is uh, this is a category in the Oscars that, uh, that these guys and it's usually guys, unfortunately, mm -hmm. um, get nominated in a lot and you consider john williams has been around for five or six decades maybe yeah uh it's i think it's at least five decades um uh he has been nominated just for score alone 44 times holy shit 44 times he won five times and that sounds like a low number right it really does yeah. like even even after all that it sounds like a low number he, he won for fiddler on the roof which is one that i don't think very many people associate him with i did not either because obviously the soundtrack to that play yeah. was more recognizable than the score but the score is really great too mm -hmm. and uh he obviously won for jaw star wars et and schindler's list mm -hmm. um Schindler's List is my jam. Oh, yeah. Schindler. That's a terrible piece of music to say is my jam. Yeah. yeah. A, yeah. You don't really jam listening to that. But that's one of those where he really stretched, I think, mm -hmm. and, and and took to another genre and style. And again, we would be putting him up here if only for the brass horns of Indiana Jones and Superman and Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the man has range. He can go all over the map. Like you said, catch me if you can. Or the the choral stuff in Phantom Menace. That, yeah. Which, you know, I don't think he'd ever done like a major choral mm -mm. thing. But I remember cleaning that auditorium well, thousands of times because that movie played 24 hours for the first whatever mm -hmm. week or whatever. But that was always playing during the credits. Yeah. Is that over the credits of, too? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it comes oh, back it's one of the, the best things about that movie is it, it goes over, it goes over the best scene of the movie. Yeah. And then it's also, I mean, it's also one of the best parts of the movie is the score itself. Uh, obviously Superman, we, we, uh, we mentioned catch me if you can, these are just, uh, catch me if you can, is such a different thing out of all this. JFK is another one oh, that I want to bring up because JFK is a completely different score than what he's known for. Um, and, uh, but yeah, home alone and Harry Potter and yeah. all that. I mean, he's basically your entire movie sound as, as somebody who I'm you know, on an amateur level is kind of musical. Uh, and I'm, I do creative writing. I like to think I have ideas, right? Mm -hmm. If I were John Williams, I would have run out of ideas long before he has. Mm -hmm. Because you mentioned Harry Potter and you almost just forget. That's a great theme. Mm -hmm. and, it, and there are many great variations through the movies as they mature and the kids get older. Um, and it's, it stands out. It's not, it's, we're going to talk about plenty of composers who are great. Yeah. But a lot of their stuff sounds the same. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not the case with John Williams, really. Yeah, he he can get. He has this ability to ring emotion, like that Harry Potter thing. That dun, 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 mm -hmm. that's that's almost like a nursery rhyme, mm -hmm. you know, which is which is appropriate for this. And yeah. when when you hear that theme as they get older, it brings you back to like these these feelings of nostalgia and like you know infancy almost. And he can get something like that. He can get like a, a like a holiday theme 
for Home Alone for a score that doesn't sound anything like a holiday, you know, tune before. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it the excitement of Indiana Jones, the sweeping epic of E.T. Mm -hmm. Like it's just it's it's amazing. Yeah. Um if there was a if there was one uh a two sets of scores that do sound similar and a lot of times you'll find yourself doing that is Superman and Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Have the same like when you hear the na 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 na, na sometimes it's like oh that sounds like I mean, yeah, most people, I mean, I guess a lot of people are going to be like, well, that's Superman right off the bat, <laughs> but there, it's got that same kind of, you know, majestic, yep. you know, quality to it. Um, so John Williams is, is, uh, a shoe in, there's no way that we're ever going to, uh, take him down from Mount Rushmore. Um, I want to get one guy out of the way because he's not very well known to us today, but if you wanted to go sheer nominations, uh, Oscar nominations, Alfred Newman has oh, yeah. 43 nominations uh, for score alone. Wow. Alfred Newman. And he won nine times. Newman. Yes, exactly. Not Alfred E. Newman, right? <laughs> uh, no. Um, <laughs> That's the first thing that came to my mind. Um, but, uh, yeah, same here when I ran across his name. Um, the you know he his his list the list of movies that he scored that he won for they're recognizable but they're also vague like you know it's like camelot the king and i huh. um love is a many splendored thing mm. um and then a lot of stuff that i've just have never heard of before mm -hmm. and he spoiler alert he will not be making our rushmore because we don't know enough about him but i have a feeling that if we got we sat there and listened to a bunch of alfred newman we'd be like oh yeah he yeah. should definitely be up there <laughs> there'd probably also be like a half dozen of them that we actually that connect that we remember having heard yeah. in some variation over our lives whether we've seen that movie or not it's just you know what was this back in the 40s and 50s yeah it was a, it was in that sort of that era yeah. and i was trying i tried to listen to a few of his scores, like his best known pieces and everything. I was like, yeah, that's pretty good. I just, I, I need context. Yeah. Yeah. And everything. So, but he's definitely needs to be mentioned. Uh, yeah. 42 nominations. 43. 43. If, if you wanted to go toe to toe with nominations, Alfred Newman's up there with John Williams. Would be. Um, all right. Who else? Who do we want to talk about? I want to talk about Danny Elfman just because oh, yeah. he's worth discussing, but I also just saw a piece of news that disturbs me. Hmm. Apparently, he's he gave an interview yesterday, or it was printed yesterday, where he is definitely working some of his Batman theme from the Burton films into the Justice League score. Hmm. Mm. And I don't like that. Really? I already read that he's taking some of John Williams' Superman and trying to blend it in with Man of Steel stuff. Mm -hmm. That makes a tiny bit more sense, because it's a little bit more like a homage or a callback, but we've had so many different Batman since, like, I don't want to watch Justice League and Think about Michael Keaton. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. Because it's going to be... And if it just appears once, that's cute. Uh -huh. if, it's a, if it's a new part of the major Batman theme, I don't like it. But you also you liked the callback to uh, the original Spider-Man and uh, Giacchino's uh, homecoming school. Yeah, right? I'm a complete hypocrite. I, you know what? Am I the only one but that that wasn't not... a callback to another score. It was a callback to yeah, a TV the original. show theme yeah, song. Yeah, that's yeah, true. I don't really can't pick out mentally any of the major themes from dark Knight or batman begins or things like that just like, the drum hit and oh yeah and there's the that that little driving yeah yeah you know i'm just saying that the uh the danny elfman score 
is the most recognizable Batman score. I agree. I yes, but that sure. doesn't mean we need to go back to that. That was 1989. Yeah. Like, give Batman... You're Danny fucking Elfman. Yeah. You're one of the greatest active composers working. You can come up with something. <laughs> yeah, right? Who knows? He's calling back... You know, when he was in his heyday, when it was Batman... And he was doing the Beetlejuice and mm -hmm. uh, big uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure and yep. things like that, and then the Simpsons. He, like he had such a weird like cadence mm -hmm. to yeah. like like his his things like the things going on in yeah. the in the background, especially with the th the Simpsons theme, mm -hmm. that it was totally unlike anything else. And he's kind of like smoothed out the edges, I think, over time. I uh I secretly love the Men in Black score. Yeah, I'm in a singy mood today, by the way. <laughs> um, we picked a good day. Well, and uh, to me, the th the strange thing for Dan for me about Danny Elfman was that he's he did a lot of iconic scores for a long time, and his first ever Oscar nomination was for Good Will Hunting. Yeah, and that's a almost forgettable score. Yeah, I, I remember mean, the songs more than i remember the elliot smith songs yeah, yeah. more than i remember that score um he got nominated for that but like you know we we discussed men in black and spider-man he did dick tracy he yeah. did dark man he was sort of our comic book composer there right. for a while all the way through spider-man maybe even yeah um but uh i mean think about all these things he's done with tim burton and everything those are just those are just classic scores yeah. i mean i don't know i don't know what else to say he's so different and so I mean, we definitely have to consider him, you know, as far as uh, Rushmore is concerned. We have to consider yeah. him as a, you know, possible uh, candidate. That Spider-Man theme is so good. Mm -hmm. And all these Spider-Man movies that have come since don't even come. Like, I couldn't sing. Sorry, Giacchino, I love you. But I couldn't sing any of Homecoming to you except that one little riff that was the TV show theme. Yeah. But that... That's perfect. Mm -hmm. yep. That's perfect. I would let them bring that back. I don't know why I'm such a hypocrite on this issue. I really don't. I just, I guess it's the idea of I can kind of picture myself watching Justice League, this Zack Snyder uh, fire explosion muted color fest, and hearing that Batman theme from the Burton. I just think it's going to be a rip me out of the movie. It, it That's kind interesting. Of, well, you know what? It kind of feels like. You are, I mean, the Batman franchise has evolved from the Tim Burton and Joel Schumacher days. So to hear, and, and there's no continuity between those two. Right. So to have a theme from those older movies into a 2017 movie seems a bit awkward and a little weird. Yeah. Now, maybe it's just the, maybe it's just hints that he puts in there. Yeah. And it won't be the whole, like, thing that we know and everything maybe that's what he's talking about yeah hopefully that's what it is also shout out to nightmare before christmas which my yeah. wife just watched on halloween a couple nights ago and i feel like every i've seen that movie maybe 30 times every time i watch it i have an, a, a few percentage points more appreciation for the music in that and especially his vocal performance as jack for right. all the like all the songs that jack sings you don't you don't really think about danny elfman as a singer even though he started out in a band yeah um and uh, that just that the, all the music in that movie just kills. <laughs> Even Oingo Boingo really wasn't known for their vocals. No, <laughs> not exactly. <laughs> you know, they were known for like their their prog rock. They were and, known for their boingos, uh, new yeah. wave type of stuff. But yeah, the uh, what I love about Nightmare Before Christmas is how everything is turned on its head. Like when they have the band come in to audition for Jingle yeah. Bells, they yeah. put Jingle Bells in a minor key. Yeah, yeah. And it's awful. <laughs> it's awful. And you get the saxophone player outside of Jack's like uh, mansion. And everything. Oh man, I love that score. Oh, that's good stuff. Yeah. 
Um, another another uh, modern master guy is Hans Zimmer. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You uh, got to talk about the Boam. Yes. Now, that's the thing that you were talking, I think you talked about in the fir- that last time we were trying to discuss this, is that Hans Zimmer is awesome, but lately on the Nolan movies, it's been a lot of, like, just... just I don't know, monotone sounds. He and, and Nolan mm-hmm. have collectively decided to go down this path, I think. I think they both like the creative decision of the noise. And it, it started at Interstellar for me, mm-hmm. where, where the dialogue is intentionally dri- you know, driven out by what almost can't even be called music. Mm-hmm. It's just noises. And it, it continues with Dunkirk even more. It's not my favorite thing. Right. But you know, you go prior to these movies, and Hans Zimmer's fucking badass yes pirates of the caribbean yeah crimson tide oh my god Um, (laughs) yeah and and you know i mean pirates of the caribbean is you can you can hear crimson tide evolved in pirates of the caribbean sure yeah absolutely it's got that same kind of you know you know it's he must have he must have gotten out on the water to do this the winds blowing in his hair yes i have completed the score (laughs) yeah uh, um but uh hans zimmer has been nominated 10 times Mm. he only won once and it was for the lion king which is another movie that you may know more for the songs than uh the score but he uh he won for the score on that um Hmm, that's weird yeah um you saw they posted the whole voice cast for favreau's mm -hmm. quote-unquote live action Lion Mm -hmm. king man fuck that movie so hard (laughs) fuck it yeah um he also did the music for gladiator um he's he's the kind of he's the he's kind of our john williams right now like i mean even though john williams is still around making music and everything he's sort of uh, I think he's sort of maybe been thrust into that, you know, maybe he's the number one go-to guy right now if you can't get John Williams yeah. or something like that. I guess. I mean, uh, I don't know why he's working with Junkie XL so much, though. Mm. It's almost like a package deal at this point. Yeah. And I think uh, it may have been for Batman versus Superman where it seemed like he just was along for the ride and just kind of threw some stuff in. Junkie XL was, was the main uh, composer on that. And maybe at, at some point we'll be talking about somebody named Junkie XL yeah. who's one of the best composers of all time. I don't really know much about him, but um, be putting a turntable up on the Rushmore <laughs> it or whatever. Does, it does sound like it <laughs> or something. something like that. Uh, but yeah, Hans Zimmer, man, uh, he's he's the the king of the bombast, I guess. Mm. And he's he's also what you were saying about Dunkirk has this really good ability to make things like anxiety producing mm-hmm. scores. You know, well, what you're I saying there's more sounds. I think. We have to respect that. It's just that we, we're only kind of just now experiencing this kind of, like with Trent Reznor's stuff that he's doing with David Fincher where where noise can be a score uh, and still help set the mood. Mm. Um, and Zimmer's Superman theme, which is kind of funny you just said the bombast thing because it's such a subtle theme. But yeah. that's my favorite thing about Man of Steel and even Batman v Superman. I like that theme. Um, so I don't know. I don't know how much of that's going to continue with Elfman doing Justice League. Let's yeah. See. What do we think about Henry Mancini? Uh, Mancini's come up with a couple of things you very well know. Yeah. It's very popular uh, pieces of music. For Such him. as? Well, he did uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Okay. He did Peter Gunn. And the one that goes, I saw, what about Breakfast at Tiffany's? Yes, he was yeah, a member yeah. of Deep Blue Something. Okay. Right. And, and a little known fact, but he also did Baby Elephant Walk. Um, he did. He wrote Moon River for Breakfast at Tiffany's. He, uh, he did yeah. the Pink Panther theme. He did the Pink Panther theme. Uh, the Peter Gunn theme is a TV show, but it's. I mean, it still counts as you know far as you know. What's interesting about the Peter Gunn theme? 
You know, you know how the dum 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 The person who played that guitar lick, John Williams. Really? Yes. Did Holy you say John shit. Williams? John Williams. Fuck! <laughs> I literally found that this morning, and I was, was like, "Oh, that's awesome!" It was also on this game I played on the Commodore sixty four called Spy Hunter. Oh, oh, I remember Spy they used, Hunter. They used mm-hmm. that music? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. They I may, saw... They may have, like, man, I don't know if they changed it or if it was the same one or whatever. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, maybe I'm just remembering it wrong. <laughs> it but seems I think, right. But I think it's right. <laughs> so, speaking of Baby Elephant Walk, I saw a video on Reddit a couple days ago. I sent it to my wife, and we were giggling about it all day. It's basically, basically footage shot by pedestrians set to 911 call uh, audio. And basically, these three elephants got loose in this city. And so the first little bit is this guy calling 911. He's like, there's an elephant walking down the street. And the cop is like, excuse me? He's like, you know, like those animals from the circus? I think he got out. Like a real elephant. And like, it's kind of awkward and funny. And then the cops start talking to each other because they're trying to they're trying to figure out where all of them are. And like at this point, one person has led one of the elephants back to the tent. A second one is at this intersection and there's one outstanding elephant. <laughs> <laughs> and this other cop goes on and comes on and says, any other animals we need to be worried about? And the dispatcher's like, no, just the one outstanding elephant. <laughs> and it ends with the, this, this cop calling in. We found the third elephant. He's just eating someone's tree. And it's, it's actually an elephant eating someone's small maple in their front yard. Any the whole thing is set to baby elephant wall. <laughs> really fun video. I'll send it to you guys That's later. Awesome. Um, the uh, another uh, master we will have to talk about is Bernard Herman. Yeah, Ooh, uh, Bernard. Now, indeed, they used to call him Bernardo. Indeed, I, I don't know. Or, 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 or Bernard. Bernard Herman. <laughs> um, he uh he didn't get nearly uh enough Oscar nominations I don't think that's but, crazy uh, he has some of the most iconic scores for Alfred Hitchcock movies especially but five nominations one win um one win one win uh he um he got nominated for Taxi Driver which was the last score he made before wow. he died oh that was his last wow. yeah um uh the, he didn't get nominated for Psycho. He didn't get nominated for North by Northwest uh, or Vertigo. Those are all like, you know, you know the music when you hear it. Um, So, yeah, five times and one win. And, you know, that stuff for like North by Northwest and Psycho and everything. Yeah, man. I think I'm pretty sure that John Williams looked up to Bernard Herrmann. Um, In fact, there's even a, a I think there's a piece of music in Star Wars where they're in the um, Millennium Falcon and they're in the stowaway mm-hmm. crap or whatever, where he puts his cargo when they gets boarded and right. everything. Um, when they when they get out of the when they they get out of it, you hear like the very tail end of something that sort of alludes to Psycho. Oh, I believe that's what. That's happened. awesome, man! Yeah. Composers putting little Easter eggs in there. Yes, but what's great about the Psycho score is not only everybody remembers like. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But that score all the way up until that, because I think it, it kind of fades when uh, when Anthony Perkins is doing his whole thing with with uh, Janet Lee and everything. But when she's driving out at like at the beginning of that movie, mm-hmm. uh, when she's driving out with all the money, like that score is yeah. super awesome. Yeah. So it, it it's it's more than just the shriek knife thing. Right. Just like Inception is more than the Bwam. Yeah. The yeah. Music in that and, whole movie is awesome. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, he's done some things. He's done some scores that you really just immediately recognize and are amazing. 
I don't know what I don't know what he did to the academy. He must have, you know, he must have been like a Scorsese or something like that, <laughs> where where he just didn't get the accolades that he deserved or whatever. Yeah, well, that's a shame. Um, who else would we like to talk about? Bernard. Bernard <laughs> was the name of James Franco's butler in the Spider Man movies. Your father only obsessed about his work. Good night, Bernard. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, you pointed at me. I'll say Alan Silvestri. Yeah. Okay. Um, he's been around a while. He has. And he's one of those guys. I guess he's probably, you know, one of those go-to guys, right? He, he is. <laughs> he is now. Um, I mean, he's he's doing a lot of the, uh, like, Avengers and stuff like that now, right? Like, right, uh, but I'm, I'm thinking more of the, the stuff the 20 years prior to that. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, here he's another interesting case. He's only had one nomination for score. Wow, I'm kind of surprised. One, <laughs> and it was Forrest Gump. Oh, well, that's a great score. It's a great score. Um, but uh, he, I mean, Back to the Future, which you know immediately mm-hmm. when you hear it. Contact, which has a great uh, mm-hmm. score. I mean, obviously, he's very well known for the Zemeckis stuff. Yeah. That he's as tied to Zemeckis as Williams is to Spielberg. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. He, I don't know if he has anything beyond what he's done with Zemeckis that we just immediately gravitate I think towards. I just personally love the Back to the Future score so much that I might have inflated Sylvester's worth. I don't know, because it's so good. It's I, I would think it's as good or better than some of that early Williams theme stuff. It really is, and it's got multiple themes in it. You know, it does. The ones that, that I love, these scores that you can listen to over and over again, same thing with the uh, Elfman Batman score, is they have multiple touchstones, and it, they're not necessarily tied to one another, but mm-hmm. um, you know, for, for each part of back to the future you can instantly call back the score for it you know mm-hmm. and especially the big da, 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 da. yeah uh but yeah it's a really it's a really good one yeah yeah uh jerry goldsmith Ooh, obviously yeah baby boy um another guy who you know i mean th- this when we did this before it was already tough i mean we we came <laughs> up with these composers who were just all well just super accomplished goldsmith though 17 nominations wow. one mm-hmm. win still seems kind of low one-sided yeah who are uh, all these wins going to all those all over the years I think they alfred just, newman well the thing is <laughs> is it's all the same guys usually they're yeah. getting nom- getting nominations and i think it just it just keeps getting passed around yeah. to all these people and the more and more you get nominated you know the more chance you have i mean remember williams only won five times yeah yeah and uh <laughs> and so some of these guys you know it's just a matter of what year you're in and what you're up against and all that it's just really strange though to hear some of these composers one win or one nomination or, or low amount of nominations um can i read the the list of some it. of his stuff do it because it's insane Star Trek motion picture. Yep. Now we had talked last time about like how much of his input he had with the show's theme. Yeah. But he definitely did, you know, the first iconic score for the first movie. Yeah. Um, he did uh, the Sand Pebbles, Logan's Run, Planet of the Apes, Patton, Papillon, Chinatown, uh, The Omen, uh, Alien, mm-hmm. Poltergeist, Holy Gremlins, I mean... Total Recall, Basic Instinct, Air Force One, uh-huh. LA Confidential, <laughs> Mulan. And three Rambo films. Well, yeah. it's, What's it's interesting that stands out to me there is the Basic Instinct one. Because <laughs> yeah. that score is perfect for that movie. It mm-hmm. is, it's almost campy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it, it's, it just shows how much he can treat the movie as a unique thing. And not, I mean, that's a pretty varied list of films and styles and scores. And yeah. it's a... It's hard to argue with that list when you, except for Air Force One, when you <laughs> rattle them all off like that. Yeah. Uh, so the one win was for The Omen. 
<laughs> Go figure. You know, out of all the stuff that he's really well known for. I mean, you would know, if you said Jerry Goldsmith, you know Star Trek, Alien, mm-hmm. for sure, Chinatown. Poltergeist, Chinatown. Those are all award-worthy he was really good. Scores. He was really good with those, like, you know, mystery movie type of things, right? <laughs> Chinatown, L.A. Confidential, which has got some roots in Chinatown, mm-hmm. and uh, and Basic Instinct, you yeah. know? It's like he, he knew how to make those, like, real mysterious and, you know, and maybe even a little campy in Basic Instinct's uh, case, but uh, Goldsmith is definitely up there, man. He's got to be considered as far as one of our greatest. Uh, he probably would still be gone, because I think he, he died fairly early. Uh, he was seventy five when he died in two thousand four. Yeah, um, he he died right before I was I was supposed to see him at the, uh, the oh, Symphony wow. Center downtown in Nashville. What a wow. bastard! I know. I was like, I was getting geared up. I was like, oh, I'm going to go see Jerry Goldsmith. He's dead. Well, we were talking about going to see John Williams. He oh yeah, came to Nashville to direct the Nashville Symphony in his own scores. But that was the same weekend as Wizard World, so yeah. we couldn't go. That's all right. We had to. Maybe he was in uh, in costume at Wizard World, and he was checking us out. I just like the idea that we were like a block and a half from that guy. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. That's cool True. enough for me. Yeah, It's like when Stan Lee was at Wizard World. I'm like, I don't need to go see him or pay for an autograph. <laughs> right I'm there. breathing the same air. <laughs> I, can, I don't even need binoculars. He's right there. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, another one uh, that we threw around was uh, Howard Shore. Now, Howard Shore obviously has some some great music for Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. That's about all we know. Like you know, like right off the bat when you hear Howard Shore, uh, three nominations for score. He he, uh, two of them are for Lord of the Rings movies, mm. and then Hugo he got nominated for. Mm. Um, and then I was looking through his list and it's like maybe the departed as you, you may know from, for Howard Shore, but he's not, he hasn't gotten quite up there yet as far as like many iconic scores and everything like that. That's weird. Cause Scorsese's worked with a lot of different composers. Mm-hmm. I mean, you mentioned, uh, Harriman doing, uh, yeah. uh, taxi driver mm-hmm. and then Shore doing the departed. I would not have guessed that in a million years. Yeah. Well, yeah. and Howard Stern did gangs in New York. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's just that's not very well known. He used a pseudonym, an Alan Smithy score. Yeah, yes, yes. Um, can we talk a little bit about Thomas Newman? Yeah, this is a guy that I will willingly admit a lot of his stuff sounds the same mm-hmm. or is at least very quickly recognizable as Thomas Newman. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I love it. Yeah. I accidentally watched. In order the other day, Road to Perdition, Passengers, and Finding Nemo. And I was like, this guy's a fucking genius. He did all of those? Yeah. No shit. Like in Road to Perdition, I'm paying more attention to the music now that it's running over and over on Cinemax or whatever it is. Uh, and it's got two great themes. It's got that. Um, <clears throat> and then it's got that Jude Law theme. It's all bouncy, like doom, 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 doom. Um, I love me some uh, Thomas Newman music. I'm c- convinced. I was telling you the other day. I'm, th- I'm convinced that's part of the reason I keep watching Passengers because <laughs> I'm not find. I'm not going to find anything in that movie that's going to turn it around for me. Um, but I keep watching it. Yeah, like it keeps winning the TV Guide battle when I'm flipping around uh, against a lot of movies that are way better. And I think his score has a lot to do with it. It just kind of sets the right i don't know it feels like i'm getting a shoulder rub yeah well okay he can you know rub some I mean? shoulders maybe because he's it just makes you feel warm and good and cozy i don't know yeah pretty much he is a feel-good type of composer um now newman he does have um 
I think he does have a varied enough career. It's just one of those things where you can hear his other stuff in other in other scores, yeah. like in Finding Nemo when they're when they're uh, pushing the net or pulling the net down yeah. and everything. It's got that Shawshank yeah music in it essentially although the shawshank music alone kind of makes me want to push for this guy and i don't yeah. know if i will but that the shawshank score is fantastic the shawshank mm-hmm. redemption score is great um and he also did american beauty which is very uh, iconic and I, I know we say iconic a bunch but that's well i mean that's i i think american beauty is one of my favorite scores of all time yeah mm-hmm. every time because i just did an outtake with with american beauty and um anytime we see like a shot of over a neighborhood or something like that. Yeah. Like it wasn't bad moms. Immediately I'm going to say that my name is Lester Burnham. Yeah. You know? And, but then like every time I, I watch that on YouTube or something like that, I'll sit through the entire scene because you'll hear that. Whether it's xylophone or it's blocks or if it's fucking what glockenspiel or whatever the fuck it is. Using. It's, it's just so, it's so unique you don't hear anything like that. I have uh, it on authority that there are 37 different types of mallet instruments. Just saying. <laughs> I'm joking. But um, my point is there's like I, I 82 not, names for that shit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Newman has been nominated 13 times for score alone. Uh-huh. He, wow. So he's he's up there, uh, including Passengers. He got nominated for that. <laughs> well, that's a great score, <laughs> man. Um, it really is. Got nominated for Bridge of Spies, Saving Mr. Banks, um, Skyfall. Maybe. Oh, that's a good score too. Um, and uh, of course, that was another Sam Mendes. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, they must like working together. Um, uh, Wally. Now, when I say he's been nominated thirteen times for score, uh, I mean thirteen times, or just generally, I, I always mean score. He's been nominated fourteen times if you add songs and oh, okay. stuff like that. Um, uh, and then yeah, stuff like The Good German, which I saw once, and I don't even remember much about. A series of unfortunate events. Road to Perdition. Another yep. Sam Mendes um and uh unstrung heroes little women and then of course the shawshank redemption was his first ever did he win for that uh no has he ever won he may have won. oh no i don't think he ever he's won. never won what yeah he's never won you would think he would have gotten swept up in all that american beauty love and yeah you would you know? think well yeah. especially because the score for american beauty now it does sound like a lot of thomas newman we get later yeah like that jude law thing i was singing in road from road right. to perdition uh very very percussive but i hadn't heard a lot of score like that and i think mm-hmm. it's it fits that movie perfectly because it keeps you off kilter the whole time you're watching and the movie's brilliant in in sort of telling you what's coming and then lulling you into a false sense of security but keeping you off kilter mm-hmm. that, that, that score is so important to that movie mm-hmm. it's a shame he got overlooked yeah yeah um and since we're on the newmans we we discussed alfred and thomas might as well talk about randy newman where do you stand on randy newman now randy newman i don't stand on randy newman because that's rude yeah it is well rude. It and is short rude. people got no reason to live <laughs> Um, <laughs> I just can't. Whenever I hear Randy Newman, I think of the end of Volcano, where it's playing "I Love L.A." As yeah. you see the smoldering remains. I think the- Newman is probably known more for songs yes. than he is for score, but he's been nominated for score eight times. Wow! Um, and you know, an all-time great is the Natural uh, soundtrack. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely fantastic. Um. Uh, he uh, he's he's never won for the score. He has won for two songs. He had this crazy streak at one point <laughs> of never winning for for, for song. Good. And uh, and then like uh, then finally he won for if I didn't have you from Monsters Inc. and we belong together for Toy Story three. I fucking hate 
Randy Newman song. Oh, yeah? I can't stand him. There's... I hate the way he sings. I hate his whole thing. <laughs> so I, I'm assuming... a little Bob Dylan in your Randy Newman yes, impression. Yes, maybe so. I'm assuming you're a huge fan of that family guy. I believe it's in the first season <laughs> Do you remember where that? he's singing about everything people are doing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's looped in with uh, Elvis Costello's, like these new wave, like rock pioneers and everything. Mm-hmm. I could not could not get more of a difference in opinion uh for me for elvis costello versus randy i love newman. me some elvis costello me too fucking randy newman and it's god bless him he's doing well for himself but i just cannot stand to hear his songs his voice mm-hmm. it's just great something have i already the t- scores are good have yeah. i already told the story about elvis costello's guest appearance on fraser no because he's at he's been hired by the coffee house fraser and niles go to all the time cafe nervosa <laughs> Um, but he's playing obnoxious, super British accent, like pub songs, like uh, Timey Kangaroo Down and shit like that. <laughs> and the f- people are all singing and he's loud, obnoxious. And basically, Fraser and Niles spend the episode trying to find a new coffee house because they don't want to <laughs> deal with this obnoxious guy. Anyway, by the end of it, Niall, he pulls Niles up on stage to do the shaker egg. And by the end of the song, Niles is just fully committed. And he's like <laughs> dancing around, shaking the egg, and Frazier's mad at him for giving it. Anyway, good episode. Most Frazier episodes are good, but yeah. Um, another one would be James Horner. Mm-hmm. Um, Horner's another guy who has a lot of the similar themes keep popping up in everything that he does. And I, I'm pretty sure I told this story before, and even on the one that got uh, you know lost, but. Um, I remember watching A Beautiful Mind mm-hmm. and the Universal logo comes up. And as soon as I hear the first two notes, I said, James Horner, because <laughs> it's just the way it is. Yep. He's been he had been doing a lot of the same stuff. And like sneakers is, I believe, the score that everything is derived from. You think like sneakers has has stuff later that shows up in Apollo 13. I can like, hear some sneakers in Field of Dreams, though, too. Oh, really? Yeah, because he does that. He does that uh, dramatic reverb low piano hit where it's yeah oh yeah 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 and that's in sneakers and uh, field of dreams right um so and so maybe it's even field of dreams i'm not even thinking about that far back but sneakers like yeah in apollo 13 when kathleen quinlan is looking up at the moon and there's that that just that nice little and i'm not going to try to do this this is going to just butcher it but that there's a the music that's playing with Kathleen Quinlan is almost exactly the music that's playing when Redford and uh, Kingsley start talking to each other. Oh, sneakers. interesting. Um, and then uh, I mean he's obviously also known for like Braveheart and Titanic. Yep. He had a streak there where he just couldn't do anything right. He got in every Best Picture you know that he could. He was I mean everything was working for him. Uh, nine nominations for score alone. He won for Titanic. Yeah, I think um, rightfully so. Yeah, um, but, I love that score, man. Yeah, I, I, I mean, unironically, I love it. I, I don't, know it's, but, it's super but, Celtic, but I, I hate the love Irish. It. I can't get on board. <laughs> <laughs> go, go back to Ireland with your potatoes, you motherfuckers. <laughs> go back to Germania. <laughs> it's my island. <laughs> oh um, no, man! I, 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 not just the theme, but like. I don't know. Like it that's another one that captures the feeling of that movie. And the feeling of that movie can be saccharine at times. It can be almost inauthentic, but it's but it's it's almost purely emotional. And I think mm-hmm. that's what very emotional indeed. Yeah. Uh and I feel like that's the score, man, and I'm I'm on board with it. There's the two way. things no I'm gonna be doing today. Singing too much and sidetracking us too much. There's a great episode of Friends I saw yesterday where 
Monica had not invited Joey's mom to her and Chandler's wedding, and Joey wanted her to invite her, but once she got the invitation, she was offended that she got it late, and so Monica had to call and try and coax her into coming to the wedding, and Joey had coached her to say, they hate the Irish. <laughs> and she said something about the post office probably lost our mail, damn Irish, or something like that. <laughs> and Joey's like, yeah. <laughs> um. He also did the score for Aliens. Ooh. So we have Goldsmith doing Alien and we have Horner doing Aliens. And then who did the third one? I don't know. It that's was, exactly my point. That's right. It was, I mean, it's probably. Atticus Ross. You know what? It's probably, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Somehow, some way, it was Atticus Ross and, and, and you know, Trent Reznor because of the Fincher connection. Or it was Madonna. Right. Madonna. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we all remember those swinging, you know, club tunes. I am going quite on sure Alien Madonna 3. cannot read music, let alone write it. Um, but uh yeah uh so and then you have james newton howard james mm -hmm. newton howard does all these howard newman newton james, <laughs> james john does a lot of overlap in these names yep. yeah it's very weird by the way as an aside when we were joking about howard stern doing the score for gangs of new york it was indeed howard shore who did it so <laughs> howard, shore, howard shore did a lot of these modern day scorsese movies so okay. i don't know when he started but i've noticed it goes back to aviator and gangs of new york that's a good that. score gangs of new york yeah yeah so um but james newton howard eight nominations zero wins nah. see um, i'm telling you i think these i think these the oscars are disappearing into the ether yeah i know I, <laughs> it feels like we should get to somebody who's been who's won nine times to make <laughs> right. up for all this yeah think about well yeah i mean alfred newman won nine times I guess uh, so, yeah. <laughs> but uh but like you think about it it's all these different scores and just one year you have to to possibly win an oscar and everything and just you know it's it, there's always going to be somebody there's like how many we're going to be talking about a lot of like crazy good composers here yeah. and they're all competing against each other every time every <laughs> yeah. year yeah um but i i agree with you there's you gotta it seems like something's gotta give somewhere <laughs> somebody's gotta feed the monkey um <laughs> but uh james newton howard um it's funny i know him mainly for the sixth sense and unbreakable but he did not get nominated for those um he uh and he and he had five nominations before the sixth sense and unbreakable came out so interesting was, i i felt like those scores were, you know if you think about sixth sense and unbreakable those are scores that you'd think yeah that got nominated but no they didn't um but uh the fugitive he got nominated for fugitive's got a really good score yeah it does yeah so uh here's another guy that we can talk about anybody else um no i want to say one thing about that guy um the in split mm -hmm. when the unbreakable theme kind of comes in mm-hmm I don't know. I know you've mentioned before that, that you recognized it immediately mm -hmm. and knew something was coming. I think the majority of the public did not see that or hear that. And I know my wife is always telling me she loves how much music is important to me. Like, Boppy song comes on the radio and I'll be dancing as we're driving down the street. And she doesn't think people are like that. They don't connect to music and connect music to memories the same way that I do. Do you think we're unique in that? Because as soon as I heard that, I only just recently saw this movie. Uh, as soon as I heard that, it was all suspense over. Not that I didn't already know what was coming. Well, yeah, but I mean, it, it was right at that scene, though, right? But what I'll what I'll say about it was, I knew that Split had a surprise. I didn't know it was that. Ah. Um, I, uh, I thought that the surprise had already happened. Like, oh, okay, kind of like Signs, where right. you're like, okay, I mean, I guess that was a surprise. <laughs> yeah. Um. 
whatever, I thought it had already just been done. So when that music started playing, I, I wasn't more like, I wasn't like, oh, that's unbreakable. Hey, they're going to tie this into unbreakable. I was like, what is he doing? Yeah, he's oh. just repeating. Yeah, he's like, just repeating. Same his, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, the, that's the thing that came to my head <laughs> when I first heard it. And uh, I was like, God, that's ex- that's the just the exact same score. Why don't we just copy and paste this shit? And, I <laughs> and then get, Bruce Willis shows up. And you're yeah. like, oh, okay. I get fucking chills when David Dunn goes to the train station and the score just builds so slowly. Yeah. Uh-huh. That, that, that like the strings don't even come in for several measures and then they slowly get stronger. God, that yeah. scene is awesome. Oh, it's so good. Um, by the way, in our superhero thing last week when we were talking about what powers does David Dunn have and everything? We were basically like, well, he's another Superman and everything. We forgot the fact that he can tell when people have done crimes and crap. Also, we oh, yeah. touch oh, them, yeah. touch them and figure out what they've done wrong. And, yeah. everything. and well, he's only going to go after the non date rapists though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we also, I did, uh, I said, star Lord doesn't have any powers, but by the end of guardians two, he's like half planet or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, but he, do, he goes through like, you know, one and seven eighths movies without having any powers. Yeah. Well, no, right? I agree. It, it doesn't, it, it requires the planet though, to have powers. I don't he, he fucking know. He doesn't have powers now. That's unless yeah. they just make him have powers suddenly. Like, you know, they could be like, yeah, the the destruction of the planet, all the power went into inside your body. You know, yeah, that's the type of bullshit. They can say anything exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I thought it required the planet for him to do it. But, uh, yeah, you're right. He doesn't show any propensity for powers. Um, can I throw out a stud? Throw out a stud. That I would really love to see in, in major contention. Elmer Bernstein. Yeah, man. Elmer Bernstein. This guy... It uh, absolutely floors me. I love every single score because it's orchestral, but it's jazzy. Uh, it could be something like The Magnificent Seven, which is so memorable, mm-hmm. all the way up to Ghostbusters, to mm. one of my personal favorites, Stripes, Yeah, which is like an Aaron Copeland concerto, basically. It's like an American, just gorgeous piece of music. It's militaristic, but it's but it's fun. Kind of belies the movie on top of it. Right? Yeah, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> he also yeah. he also did Airplane, yep. which is uh, you know, uh, that hearing about uh, how the the Zucker brothers came about on it, you know, came about Elmer Bernstein to do their music and everything is just funny because they were like, you know, I, I don't I don't think they gave him much to work with or it was you know he's a he's a big deal yeah like, yeah, yeah and like they somehow he's done the landed, Ten Commandments for yeah, fuck's sake you know? they somehow landed him and everything and he's like man and he gave us a score that we just didn't deserve <laughs> something, something along those lines or whatever but um the Great Escape is another one the yep. you know I mean he's done a lot of like really really great stuff he uh he's been nominated nine times nine times nine times uh he won for thoroughly modern millie okay um but uh but yeah airplane and ghostbusters are my are my uh best known of him you can't sing uh, any thoroughly modern millie right now i can't (laughs) can't. but ghostbusters is another score that has probably three themes to it Mm. like it's very much like back to the future and it may be just because they were from the same era but every time you see a scene, like when they're walking down the the steps of the the university, or they're coming out from the uh, the firehouse or something like that, you can associate that piece of score with that scene just mm-hmm. mentally. Uh, I love this guy, man. I, I think it's absurdly, absurdly talented, and I think overlooked 
in conversations like this because he did do a lot of comedies. Yeah. He did do Stripes. He did do Airplane and uh, Animal House and mm-hmm. Slapshot mm-hmm. and fucking, you know, things like that. Yeah. So, but yeah, Magnificent Seven, Ten Commandments, like these are these are heavy hitters. He does have a friend named Cheddar who shot himself with his own gun. <laughs> <laughs> I am white trash. I'm proud of it. Yeah, no, my man, Future is an Uncle Tom. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. Elmer Bernstein probably doesn't get enough love. Right. And he's made some of the most you know like memorable type of music and yeah. everything so uh i i wouldn't have a problem with him, considering him but you know it's just a stacked category it is that's the reason why these people have only won one or two <laughs> right. oscars um uh, i'll uh, bring up another one i'll not get his name right even though i took four years of french in high school i'm gonna fuck this guy's name up but Alexandra Desplat, oh, I believe is his name. Excellent. Eight nominations, one win. Uh, his win was for Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh, um, he's basically sort of taking off where Mark Mothersbaugh started with the Wes Anderson movies because Mark Mothersbaugh is really well known for his Wes Anderson stuff. But he, you listen to Grand Budapest Hotel, it's sort of like a continuation of what Mark Mothersbaugh right. had been doing. What is with these um, new wave guys and their talents? Like Mothersbaugh and Elfman yeah. are both in these like... It's so interesting how they got into all yeah. this, you know? Like like they're they're in a rock band, they're trying to get laid, all that stuff. <laughs> and they're like, well, what I really want to do is score films. <laughs> yeah. I want to score chicks. Life. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, his win was Grand, Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, he got nominated for Fantastic Mr. Fox as well. So he's been with Wes Anderson uh, for a little bit now. But uh, he's another guy that um, uh, he does a lot of stuff. Now, I wrote down the notes on this on the previous one, but I don't remember the other scores he may be known for. So let me look at that real quick. Desplat. I don't want to bring up somebody like Alexandre Desplat and be like oh shit it's just those two wes anderson <laughs> um well okay so the imitation game philomena argo argo one. argo fuck um, yourself <laughs> yeah and uh the king's speech um the curious case of benjamin button and the queen he's been nominated huh. for um, curious case of benjamin button yeah which yeah keeps it, it got surprising amount of Oscar nominations right. for a movie so terrible. God, it's so fucking for a movie boring. where Brad Pitt looks like a toad for half of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anybody else you want to talk about? Uh, should we mention? We should mention Ennio Morricone. Yeah, well, yeah, well, of but course. I've actually been threatened, I think, humorously that if we don't talk about him, we'll be in big trouble. <laughs> um, yeah, Morricone's another like interesting. Uh, case as far as his peers giving him awards and stuff he mm. didn't get very many nominations remember his first win was for the hateful eight right um and uh he got uh let's see he's been nominated six times uh and of course the good the bad and the ugly is the is the big one yep. you, you know and the untouchables is mm-hmm. another big one when you look at any of morricone's uh filmography though i get the sense that he probably wasn't as lavish with praise by Americans up until much later in his life, because he probably did a lot of Italian movies that we haven't heard the scores for. Mm. And, uh, but the ones that we do know, like the good, the bad, the ugly and all that, mm. those are the, you know, Oh, it's immediately famous and everything. But you look at his list and it's like, okay, he hasn't done a lot of stuff that you just immediately know what that is and everything. And I think that's what hurts him a little bit in a conversation like this. However, 
the stuff we do know him for is outstanding. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, Untouchables is my favorite film score, period. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's over anything John Williams made. There's only been... I could do that all day. Jurassic Park, Untouchables, and Star Trek VI are probably the only soundtracks I've ever bought. Yeah. Now, Star Trek VI... Uh, who was that? Cliff Eidelman, I think. Not mm. worthy of this discussion, probably. But it's got <laughs> an one amazing of the ones theme. Like three Academy Awards. Oh uh, yeah, probably. He's been winning all this time. Um, and Jurassic Park obviously has like two or three great themes. John mm-hmm. Williams at his best. Uh, but Untouchables, my favorite one ever. I've had the cassette, the CD, and I have a digital copy. Now. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, I I can't get enough. I I I actually had somebody on Twitter tell me I'm watching Untouchables for the first time. It's just me, or is the score the most distracting thing ever? And I was like, motherfucker, it's just you. Yeah, yeah. the score is fucking awesome. What are you talking about? I mean, that sets the mood, like from the opening credits. Yeah, man. and like it that, just that goes all the way. Piece through. that you were singing. Yeah, and then it's so different from you know, good, the bad, and the ugly. And I think the hateful eight score is fantastic. And even though it's for technically. I guess that's not really a spaghetti western, much like Django was. I think that's more of like a murder mystery western it's got it, thing. yeah it's got this weird amalgamation of <laughs> yeah. uh, agatha christie and and john carpenter and yeah. all sorts of you know and i guess you could you could throw a little bit of spaghetti western yeah but too. it's my point but is it's that not, it's different from yeah. the stuff that he did with the man with no name trilogy and things right. like that and I, I gotta give it up for variety and somebody like thomas newman or somebody like um, you know, Danny Elfman and and Morricone to be able to switch on a dime and say, I'm going to do uh, this type of thing, which is not it's it's out of my uh, idiom, sir. Idiom. Yeah. <laughs> um, another one that I want to mention is Carter Burwell. Oh, yeah. Um, I thought that was the drummer for Dave Matthews band. <laughs> I don't have any idea. About, I'll bet you five bucks the drummer for Dave Matthews Band's first name is Carter. It's Carter, and it's probably like Burnwell or something like that. Um, I know I'm not 100% wrong. Uh, much like Shepherd's Pie. Burwell has only been nominated one time, and it was for Carol. What's his name? Carter Buford. Yeah! Look <laughs> how close I was! These motherfuckers! <laughs> um... But uh, but Carter Burwell um, is mainly known for stuff that uh, the Coen Brothers have done and Spike Jones. Mm. And if you've watched any Spike Jones or Coen Brothers, you've heard some Carter Burwell, and his scores are amazing. They are. Fargo is great. Mm. Didn't get nominated for that. That's are you insane. fucking kidding? And me? that was a that was an awards darling too. Yes, it was. Mm. And uh, and mm. and maybe Burwell was getting some sort of like, well, you're kind of new here, so fuck you. I don't know what kind of scores were getting nominated in 96. It's probably like all-time best ones. And I'm, <laughs> I think I'm the Academy just them. hates Dave Matthews fans. Yeah, I think so, too. <laughs> they were like, wait, the drummer from Dave Matthews? We're not giving him an Oscar anytime Fuck that soon. that guy. But he did the score for being John Malkovich, and he did... Great uh, score. And, um, and uh, it's just... He's just... Those, those, those scores really put you in that mood. Fargo, especially, oh, just yeah. puts you in that... Just that... I don't know. It's, it's, it's perfect that... That opening title theme mm-hmm. is just majestic, and it's a small town, you know. And but it's but it it prepares you for this like crazy story you're about to tell, about to see, and everything. Uh, Burwell's great though. Uh, I Did don't he know do all the Coens. He has done a bulk done right, the bulk yeah. of uh-huh. them. But uh, let's see, like what? Did, who did Miller's Crossing? Yeah, he did do the Miller's Crossing. So he's been around since then. That's 1990. 
Raising Arizona probably was not him. No, it was. Fuck me. He's been around for the Coens the entire time. There That's may wild. be there may be like one or two he mm-hmm. hasn't been on, but he's... <laughs> intolerable cruelty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> yeah, he read the script on that one. Um, like, yeah. You guys go ahead. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, uh, I forgot another soundtrack that I own. It's probably uh-huh. the fourth and only other soundtrack, The Incredibles. Ooh. Oh yeah, and we have to at least give some lip service to Jukino. I feel like if we were doing this in ten years, he would be a shoe in. Uh, I'm not sure his resume currently has enough home runs compared to because he did Rogue One's kind of forgettable. Spider-Man Homecoming was kind of forgettable. His Star Trek theme is the best Star Trek theme ever created. Yeah. Uh, And I I could listen to that all day. Uh, Incredibles. He's another guy that genre hops plenty. Mm -hmm. All the piano stuff he did for Lost, which technically shouldn't be considered here. But you got to start with J.J. Abrams on Alias Mm -hmm. and the. Both Alias and Lost were really great about using soft piano moments, and he's just created some great themes there. Uh, works his ass off. Mm-hmm. He may be one of the hardest working composers going right now. You, you came up with two points there uh, that you know he's he's done some scores that are you know you may not they're forgettable or whatever. I think every composer we've talked about today, I'm sure you're right, does forgettable scores because <laughs> a lot of times they're just getting hired to just. Hey, bang this out real quick. Well, yeah, Jaquino only had four weeks for Rogue One. Yeah. <laughs> and odd. so, uh, you know, every one of these guys, we we look at John Williams and his 44 nominations, but he's got like a hundred and something credits. Yeah. Or whatever. He probably so, scored Terminal. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine he did. Mm-hmm. Um, but Giacchino's, uh he's won two. I mean, he's nominated two and he's won for Up. Mm-hmm. Which is a fantastic score. Yes, it is. Um, I, I think I still know him more for Alias and Lost, but um but he's a guy when i see his name on a on a movie i know that i'm gonna like the score usually and the incredibles is a great one too i mean i'm surprised it didn't get nominated yeah and he goes maybe it did no it did get nominated shifts gears from incredibles with this like 60s spy boppy you know like i think the next one he did was ratatouille yeah which is like this french infused like all these completely different instruments (laughs) but just such a great i love ratatouille oh yeah sorry ratatouille was the one that got nominated nominated and incredibles did not okay um, didn't he do war for the planet of the apes um yes that was one of my favorite parts of that movie was yeah the because there's very little orchestration with it it's Man, almost I'm, all percussion i'm really curious how that movie's gonna hold up me too because me too. i really enjoyed it but i it's just one of the i, I have a, a inclination i might not enjoy it as much the second time through yeah yeah, I'm I could a little see worried that. about that. It's different from Dawn. Dawn gets better each time that yeah, I watch it. I agree. It, I, I agree completely. Uh, but there's just there's just not nearly as much action in in war. There's more themes. There's more Woody Harrelson doing Woody Harrelson stuff. Uh, but yeah, that score, man, and that's another one that's completely different from any of his other shit. Like yeah. it's just all you could you could just imagine like apes banging rocks on yeah. something, <laughs> making that score. It's so great. Okay, uh, I'm going to start listing them now, just Do going it. through it. Um, so, uh, Maurice Jarre did the iconic score for Lawrence of Arabia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, we need to mention him. He had three Oscars for movies. He did for David Lean, which is uh, Passage to India and Dr. Zhivago. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But he also <laughs> did Dead Poet Society, which has oh, got a great a good score. One, yeah. uh, he had eight nominations total, three Oscars. Um uh, I, I mentioned Henry. We mentioned Henry Mancini yeah. earlier, and uh, he had done a a, a, piece, a famous piece of music of on Romeo and Juliet, that old '60s one. Yeah, the Bertolucci one. Uh, no, the um, Zeffirelli. Oh, Zeffirelli. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
he did he did that. Uh, the guy who uh, who actually did the score for Romeo and Juliet, Juliet is Nina Rota, right? Who did The Godfather? That's the oh, you know that's one of the all time greats. Um, they lean on that theme in Godfather too mm-hmm. so much. This is that's something that's weird to me too. By the way, he got nominated for both uh-huh. Godfather one and two. I guess there's enough original. Oh, there's two. there's got to be uh, because I mean the movie's fucking. But he's getting five hours. He's long. getting the win for that. Come yeah. on, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but you, I mean, every time I like I, I was watching it the other day, and I was like, every time I, I was paying attention to it, it was that theme again. They're back in Italy. They're doing that theme. They go mm. back to Vito Corleone. They're doing that theme. I'm like, all right, all right, we got you. Yeah, yeah. Um, then we have okay. So then we have people who've just kind of done a good score. They maybe don't have a, like a huge resume or anything like that. Johnny Greenwood, yeah, who's another one of these guys from a band who's come on to film do film scores mainly with Paul Thomas Anderson. That's and, another guy that's using sounds. Well, yeah, like, punch uh, like drunk Hansen. love. My God, that's yeah. almost that's almost like what Nolan's doing with Zimmer these days. There's so much noise in Punch Drunk Love, and it's dissonant, and it's supposed to. Uh, unrattle you mm-hmm. or rattle you uh, i guess uh, unrattle you uh now punch drunk love was was um it, it, that oh, wasn't johnny that greenwood right uh but you're right about the score oh yeah it's fantastic. go on with your pts anderson bullshit pts anderson pts d anderson <laughs> isn't there a, there's a pts anderson too right no. paul ws anderson. Paul paul w. W. who did uh like spawn <laughs> right. and mortal Kombat. <laughs> he's on. like ue bull's pupil <laughs> yeah, yeah uh john bryan did john punch, bryan yeah. did punch drunk love um uh then there is the uh trevor jones randy edelman score for the last of the mohicans which mm-hmm. is a, a another amazing score love it um the it's it's good that we actually uh this, this is a reason this is a good reason we're doing this a second time because i got to hear another piece of trevor jones music just recently in dark city when i was re-watching it. oh in hmm. dark city i I, told, I tell you guys, I don't really notice scores unless they're just amazing. Right. I was sitting there, I was like doing other work, and that's all. I, I mean, Dark City is a fucking phenomenal movie. Right. But I was like, <laughs> the music in that movie is fucking great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's. Uh, it, I was like, damn, who did that? I was like, fucking Trevor Jones, the guy <laughs> did Last Mohicans. Um, uh, I, I was looking at to who who out of that. Tre- you know, it was Trevor Jones and Randy Randy Edelman who did. I, I mean, uh, out of that two who possibly did the iconic theme and it's ba- it's got to be jones because jones did like they gave him what was the the thing michael mann wanted to have an electronic score <laughs> and and then like like two weeks or something and i don't know it was two weeks but like be- almost before the movie's about to get released he's like ah, i want something else <laughs> and like he got him to got trevor jones to do something whip something up and of course that's one of the biggest like all time right things and then i guess randy edelman came in and did, did a couple like you know filler type of things in there or whatever but that's one that we need to mention because it's so po- you know so famous uh john doyle that's the guy that i talked about with uh, the the music from the uh, hamlet trailer that's uh oh yeah it's uh the john it's john uh, see uh he from um, henry the fifth right it's henry the fifth is mm-hmm. the actual movie that it's from but then they put it in hamlet uh trailer uh he got nominated twice for sense and sensibility and for hamlet Hmm. um clint mansell he did the famous score from requiem for a dream oh they, uh, another good one yes which is a really good one uh the uh they later like re redid that 
song and did it put it on the two towers trailer hmm. and uh that's the that's the one i love the requiem for the dream but I, for some reason that two towers one maybe <laughs> it's just the way they did the trailer and everything that version is the one that i always think about when i think about this thing that that song is called like lux eterna or something like that lux hmm. eterna i don't know how it's how it's it's some i think it's some sort of latin uh he's never been nominated though um uh, rachel portman three nominations shock a lot might be her her me- her best known uh emma and cider house rules are mm. the other ones that she and that's the that's what we come to there are not many very well-known female composers and it's probably because hollywood's a bunch of dicks right <laughs> as we <laughs> keep finding out every day every day so uh if you wonder why there are not more female composers you have been hearing the news lately <laughs> it's um, not funny why am i laughing <laughs> yeah um i mean wendy carlos i guess is is worth mentioning too well that's another of- one yeah because the the that electronic sort of sound was it started with Kubrick, right? Yeah, the, uh, Clockwork Orange. Clockwork Orange. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the, the sounds of the that keyboard stuff that basically they pioneered going through there and yeah. everything that we we hear in the '80s and everything. Hearing a lot of these scores in the '80s too. I I can't get enough of that stuff. Maybe it's my childhood. Do you I like the Vangelis stuff? Yeah, man. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I love the Vangelis. Brad Fidel, who did the Terminator score, the yeah. the you know the very famous Terminator score, who doesn't do scores anymore. Apparently, huh. he's just like, all right, I made my money, I'm done. He's off somewhere else now. But uh, that score's got that real. It's not as electronic as the Wendy Carlos stuff, right? But it's it's got it, every time I hear it, I'm like, I'm, I'm a kid again. You yeah. know, I'm like nine years old every time I hear stuff. Like and, that. A, and of course, John Carpenter. I yeah, was gonna say, Carpenter. We gotta shout out John Carpenter for mm-hmm. sure. John Carpenter, especially I mean, if we're gonna talk about electronic scores from the 70s and 80s. We gotta mention him. We just went through Halloween where everybody. And their brother did a cover of the Halloween theme song. No, oh, yeah. I, I mean, honestly, like, there's there's a this push right before Halloween where it's like, oh, I did a cover. This guy did a cover. Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross did a cover mm. of the Halloween score. Good for them. <clears throat> which was fine, I guess. It turns into a Nine Inch Nails song at the end. But I'm like, you know what? The essence of that score is simplicity. Yeah. And when you broaden it out, you're not going to get the effectiveness of it. You're not going to get the punch of it. So just leave it alone, people. I agree. All right. So we're going to start uh, putting people up on Rushmore. We got Let's three, do it, baby. Three slots open. Yeah. Johnny uh-huh. Williams is definitely up there in the Washington spot. Okay. Mm-hmm. He's got a good face for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I am going to nominate Jerry Goldsmith. I think I don't, I don't think there's much argument about Goldsmith. I will, I will concur. I will I will push forth that vote. I mean, when when you when you go so down the much. list, it's it's impossible not to put him up. There. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also would nominate Bernard Herrmann. Mm. Oh God, damn! You're right. And uh, and and it's and it's weird because Herrmann, like I said, wasn't like you know he wasn't given a lot of accolades as far as the oscars are concerned but he's got so many scores that yeah. are well known yeah um this is hard this was this hard <laughs> yeah. last time it's very hard hard um <laughs> hard you're nominating Erection? well if, if, we're all, if we're all nominating I, I guess i'll throw my support behind danny elfman yeah mm-hmm. and it would be hard to argue against danny elfman and uh, I don't know. Do we just pick our four? Or are we just going to let every, every well, one of us pick one? Or are well, we I think the last time we did this, we had something similar to this on already. Now, the question is, do we knock Elfman or Herman 
or Goldsmith. I think Goldsmith's set. I think Goldsmith's set. I don't think there's any any reason to try to knock him off. But we can try to knock off Elfman and and Herman. Herman. I I mean, I was thinking about... Because I really want to make a strong case for for Elmer Bernstein, just for sheer breadth and for almost underratedness. But then you look at Bernard Herrmann. Not only did he did the Hitchcock stuff, but he did uh, the Day the Earth Stood Still. He did the Day the Earth Stood Still. He did Citizen Fucking Kane. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, he did the original Cape Fear, and then with the with Taxi Driver. Mm-hmm. God damn. I, I mean, that's that's a Herman, tough decision. I mean, the thing about Herman is that he's influenced so many other composers after him. Yeah. It's it's. It's not just the fact. I mean, it's not just the fact that he's influenced so many people. It's that his actual scores are so <laughs> are so famous. Um, but if we wanted to knock any of these people off, I think the people who really have a chance are are people like Ennio Morricone, mm-hmm. uh, Hans Zimmer, mm-hmm. uh, Thomas Newman, mm-hmm. and is that maybe it? James Horner? Maybe. Maybe. Do you agree with Bernstein being up there? Um. So burns. So you. So five people then. Mm. Five people trying to knock off Elfman and Herman. So, well, okay. So Elfman's top scores: Batman, Beetlejuice, Spider Man, Spider Man, maybe Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Just Definitely, a, just Pee-wee's about Big everything Adventure. Tim Burton has ever done, and Nightmare Before Christmas. Right, Nightmare Before Christmas. That's that's top heavy. But then he's kind of gone a little... Oh, yeah, Men in Black, yeah. No, yeah. I don't think he's dipped as much. If we pulled his IMDb up, I bet you there's still good shit in the last Yeah, there's... I mean, years. that's the thing about doing these composers. We're having to hit the real, like, highlights, and there's so many more that you could go through and talk about on some of these. You guys but... keep going. I'll look up Danny Elfman. I think Elfman beats Zimmer, for sure, in my mind. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Zimmer has... You have Pirates of the Caribbean is his most well known. Then then he starts getting I don't know if you want to call it minimalist or whatever. Mm, yeah, with no, yeah, Christopher that's, Nolan. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so it just seems like every time Zimmer's name is on a on a picture, I love the score that comes out. That's and true. It, but it's just that I don't know if you knock Elfman off. Um, <laughs> It says Danny Elfman's doing Fifty Shades Darker and Fifty Shades Freed. Oh, uh, there yeah. you go. Um, all right, yeah, he, he's doing that. He's doing that weird, quirky music during the Fifty Shades uh, <laughs> movies. I was know. a little wrong. He did uh, Avengers: Age of Ultron, Fifty Shades Grey. He's done all the Fifty Shades movies. Goosebumps. I, maybe I was wrong. Big Eyes, American Hustle. That's not that's one a, I would ever connect weird, with him. It is a weird one. Uh, but yes, yeah, all the Tim Burton stuff, Dark Shadows. He's still back with Raimi, too, so he did that Oz, Great and Powerful. So I guess m- maybe most of his iconic stuff is back in the 90s and 80s. Um, but, but I mean, that's that's powerful enough to, to put him in contention. For yeah, sure. just much like what you were about to say with John Williams, if he stopped his career at 1989, we'd already have him up there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Thomas Newman's another con- intriguing one to try to put up there, but I, f- I feel like he's got he's got two main ones, and that's Shawshank and American Beauty. Those are really heavy hitters, though. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't know if he's got enough to knock off Elfman or Herman. I don't think so. I mean, he's, like, he's definitely got the 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 number, but I don't yeah, think he's got the the home runs. Right. Um. So I mean, 
this is something that i guess if we were really fucking serious about it we would have listened to like a billion soundtracks and just like did did a fucking uh uh you know 64 you know what we did with the, <laughs> the fucking, tournament yeah, yeah, the yeah. Tournament. um but uh so yeah thomas newman i'm not sure about horner's another guy that i think he's got like he's top heavy too he's top heavy he's also i mean both horner and newman like if I were to make an argument for Newman, then it would have to be Horner up there too, because they have the same kind of like they have like two big scores yep. about, and then they have scores that kind of blend together a lot. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think we're set. I, I guess think for variety and for classics, you can't go wrong with John Williams, Bernard Harriman, Jerry Goldsmith, Jerry Goldsmith, and Danny Elfman. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a colorful. <laughs> It's saying that a bunch of white guys, but like I think it's <laughs> it's got a lot of variety musically up there. Mm-hmm. I think you got good faces. Elfman's got a great face. Herman's mm-hmm. got this wonderful like you know German maestro type of look. And Jerry Goldsmith is also bald, so you can have the two baldies. Can we carve a little tiny Jack Skellington sitting on the shoulder of Danny Elfman? Mm-hmm. Ooh, nice. I think that'd be a nice addition. It would be nice. It would be. And you can have Horner and Newman and Bernstein. And who was the other one that we mentioned? Yeah, Warner and you oh, Morricone, Morricone, Zimmer, uh, Morricone, and Zimmer. Maybe they can be. Yeah, I think I think those five deserve to be at least you know at least have a you know binoculars view from. I from think out. we should carve them standing off to the side, slowly playing near my God to thee. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's been a privilege playing with you. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, and you can't really out of all these composers, like I, I feel like Morricone, like. He probably has more like pieces of music that are instantly better than anything Elfman's ever done, but mm-hmm. he doesn't have the number of movies that that we know of. Right. And there's probably somebody out there who's listened to every Morricone thing. And My like, cousin. Yeah. You can't possibly put <laughs> you can't possibly put Elfman over Morricone. You guys are dicks. That's Chris's uh, impression of your cousin. I know. Yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure he'll appreciate it. <laughs> Um, all right so i I feel good about it i I do too so you want to talk about nature box i do want to talk about nature box we love it we of course love it (laughs) we i mean by this point if you've listened to how many episodes this is what 96 yes episodes you know we love us some nature box Mm -hmm. i mean this is a true love this (laughs) is a this is you know we fell in love with nature box yeah i mean Okay, I'm going to tell you, my, basically, I'm going to sum up my entire experience with Nature Box and how basically everything I get, I like. My most recent order arrived four or five days ago. And as I do often in life, I'm just kind of singing my my activities while I'm opening the Nature Box. <laughs> so I'm like, cheddar hatch chili crackers, and I set them aside. <laughs> And I pulled out roasted almonds. Oh, shit, I meant to get cashews. And I set it <laughs> <Yeah>. down. <laughs> and... um. Those are, those things are awesome. Salted roasted almonds. Very yeah. simple idea. Very simple snack. And then like a day later, my cashews did arrive. So I actually, I, I actually ordered both nuts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I've had the cashews plenty of times. Mm-hmm. Um, but even when I accidentally get a snack I didn't mean to get, I like it. 
Those nuts yeah. are so good, man. The I, the sriracha cashews are my oof. are my jam. Man, oh, oh man. Oh. And then the the mocha covered oh, uh, almonds. Oh, those are awesome. They're 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 like the if crack was good, mm-hmm. like if crack was good for you, that that would be it. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Edible crack. Mm-hmm. Edible crack. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Big Island pineapple <laughs> dusted with crack. <laughs> I love the pineapple. Oh man, my wife will eat that stuff up. She actually said, "I hope you didn't order any Big Island pineapple because I still have half a bag left." Two days later, it's all gone. I was like, how does she have half a bag left? <laughs> well, she's uh, counting calories these oh, days, I and see. so she she has so many nature boxes in there, she alternates days. From. Yeah, I see what you're saying. But, but yeah, you yeah, can't go wrong. That's man. probably one of my favorites that you, she's ta- you're talking about there, is yeah. that, uh, that pineapple one, because it's just like, I, mm, yeah, it's just so tasty, and the texture of it is so good. These Cheddar Hatch chili crackers have vaulted up to sourdough cheddar pretzel levels for me. I've like, got to get on that. I haven't I mean, had those yet. I was afraid of them. Mm-hmm. I actually got them for my wife originally because she likes spicy snacks and I'm not a spicy kind of guy. And, you know, hatch chili, I don't know what the hell that is, <laughs> right? Like, I was just having lunch with a friend yesterday about how every year or so there's some new hottest pepper in the world. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. it was ghost pepper, and now it's Carolina Reaper pepper. <laughs> what are they going to uncover next or manufacture in the lab? So I ordered these for my wife, but I tried one when she first opened them, and it's not actually very spicy. And I don't, I, I researched later, and hatch chilies are, are very much like jalapenos. It's mm-hmm. not like one of the spicier peppers like I thought it was. There's just the right amount of kick, just the right amount of cheese. Oh, my God. Mm, I yeah. mean, I can down a bag in a, in a sitting. <laughs> I'm not even joking. Now, <laughs> that stuff is really good. Now you're making me extremely jealous that yeah. I've never had that before. Well, I yeah, should have brought some. I would have had, had I not finished them all. Yeah, I would have <laughs> had I not been a greedy bastard. <laughs> I will gladly pay you Tuesday for a cheddar hatch chili cracker. I mean, have <laughs> Yeah, man. And if you want to snack like us. All you have to do is go to naturebox.com slash syncast. Syncast. Enter the promo code SINS and you get half off of your first order. 50%. Just, just do it. Just just do it. Give it a shot. We would not be talking about this so much if we didn't like it. So mm-hmm. just try it out. You get half off your first order. I promise you're not going to be disappointed. Just do it. Saw some more tweeter, tweeter pictures this week from oh, yeah? people who had ordered showing me their snacks. And somebody was showing uh, the Big Island pineapples. Mm-hmm. And I replied, my wife loves those. And Naturebox hopped in and... You know, congratulated somebody for getting on the snack train. Um, <laughs> just to sh- show us your snacks. Yeah. Show us your hatch chili crackers. Show us your sourdough cheddar pretzels and your watermelon mini stars. Mm-hmm. I do like to put the Big Island pineapple over my finger, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where it looks like one of those towers at the end of Men in Black. Yeah. <laughs> World's Fair. All right. And then I eat around mm-hmm. until it's all. It's almost like a finger pineapple lollipop oh that's 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 the best when you can have fun with your food i'm telling you you, man don't play with your food is the wrongest shit my parents ever told me exactly i love playing with my food that was that was some serious (laughs) deprivation there that they were doing you get playing with your food is badass yeah look at richard dreyfus in close encounters i know or homer simpson yeah mashed potatoes in the shape of a big top Uh, anyway, naturebox.com slash syncast, half off your first order. Yeah. Do it. Maybe we should just answer some questions. Yeah, let's answer some questions. Let's do it, baby. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. All right. Oh, I like these. We got some really good ones. Go to the Facebook page, Syncast presented by CinemaSins. Uh, go to SoundCloud. Go to Twitter. Go to email. Let us know. We're getting some awesome questions here. Here's one. I recently saw The Mountain Between Us, okay? And it ended up being both a survival movie and a chick flick. Uh, but each half suffers because of the other. What movie successfully combined two genres and was a better movie because of it? Can I defend from Dust Till Dawn here? Yes, you can. 
Uh, Both halves? Think, as long as you don't mind me tuning you out. <laughs> I'm joking. I think that I, when I first watched this, I was like, come on, pick a lane yep. already. Stop being a dick to us. The 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 first part of From Dust Till Dawn is terrific. It's, yes, it is. It, it plays very much like a Tarantino movie yeah. uh, and everything. And then, you know, vampires show up. And you're like... <laughs> Man, this whole this whole good thing with the family and the robbers who are brothers and all that, and it's like, well, it's it, this was such a good story, and now you're you're throwing vampires into this fucking thing. But then I just started thinking about it. Where does the story go after if it doesn't if vampires don't come in? It's your typical everyday sort of road picture, I think. At that point, um, mm-hmm. you could probably do something cool by making Harvey Keitel some sort of secret badass or something like that, which is something that a Tarantino script would do. Yeah. You know, like the preacher who, you know, we think of him as this good man, but he probably has some dark past somewhere where he's like, you know, r- ripping people's heads off and shit. <laughs> the and, real uh, McCoy. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, all that, all that discussion about like, you know, uh, challenging his faith and uh, the brother and like, but then, you know, it also becomes probably an hour and a half of Tarantino, lur- you know, lurching after Juliette Lewis a whole bunch. Right. It's almost good that there's an interruption here. Yeah. And and uh, and the that vampire stuff is so campy and so like it, it changes the dynamic of those characters so much. They used to be adversaries. Now they have to team up together and and they have to fight these vampires i still love that Clooney thing too where he's like he's like can we just all agree that was fucking vampires because i don't fucking believe in vampires but i know what i saw and um and so like now they have to like fight together and of course you get you know some some real uh i would call a-list b-list actors or a-list b-movie actors tom savini and fred williams and danny trejo danny trejo coming in uh although trejo is one of the vampires Uh uh-huh uh but I'm think I'm thinking about more of that the team oh, fighting yeah, yeah. the vampires uh-huh. and everything. Uh, you get this terrific cast of people who are just killing vampires, and it's such an oddball thing. You never see that in movies. I've always wanted the. Uh, there's a um, we do a sin sometimes where it's like if this movie had just changed into this all of a sudden, yeah, I would have removed fifty sins or whatever. Uh, I would love for a movie to start off one way. And and we and we see that only very rarely, like in this, uh, where it seems like a romantic comedy for like a, mm-hmm. like an hour of its runtime, and then suddenly horror movie, or yeah. or you know, or it's suddenly an action film, or you know, right. th- those type of things, because it would be just fun just to kind of just break up the the monotony of the genre that they're in. Yeah, it um, does get a little unfairly shat on that that second half mm-hmm. because it does still have the tarantino dialogue yeah. sprinkled throughout there's just so much campy action and the campy action to me goes over the top it's like planet terror it's it's a robert rodriguez mm-hmm. thing where planet terror has me for most of the way until it goes way over the top yeah 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 um and then like you know you get tito and the tarantula the band that turns into vampires all of a sudden he's playing yeah. a dead guy and everything yeah. and then they disappear they're yeah, never yeah, to be yeah, seen yeah. before uh, but yeah, no, I I agree. I just I just love that first part so much. Yeah, that's the and thing. And it's not even the first part. It's probably maybe sixty percent of the movie up until the Salma Hayek striptease mm-hmm. uh, to where it, you know it goes off the rails. But yeah, uh, I still watch it all the time. Man. Yeah, that that first part is so good. It, the first part is obviously the better part. Mm-hmm. It it and 
you know, it, I guess the movie overall does suffer from it, but I don't think it becomes a bad movie, and I think it does the marriage successfully in yeah. the end. Yeah. So I struggled interpreting this question, mm-hmm. so I prepared two answers. Because I, I couldn't tell if they were, I haven't seen The Mountain Between Us. That's part of the problem. I couldn't tell if they were saying one half feels like one kind of movie and the next half feels like a different kind of movie. Or if they were saying it feels like two genres at once all the way through. Oh. So my first answer is Hacksaw Ridge. Because mm-hmm. the first hour is basically the notebook, and the second hour is basically <laughs> the beach scene from Saving Private is, Ryan. Isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> and I'm actually not even answering the question correctly because I don't think it works that way. Uh-huh. I think we need to have ten minutes of the notebook and then all action, but uh-huh. it's almost an hour before he actually gets it to Hacksaw Ridge. And it's all lovey-dovey, fall in love. My dad hates me. And then he comes to testify for me. They won't let me. They they want to make me carry a gun. It's just, you don't even need an hour for all that. And then the second hour is riveting. Mm -hmm. It's really awesome. Anyway, my second answer, two genres throughout, Pineapple Express. Yeah. Stoner comedy and kind of straight up action film at times. Yeah. Um, And it does almost do the two halves thing. At least, I'd say the first 45 minutes are just stoner comedy. Yeah. And then once they get to Danny McBride's and they have that hilarious fucking fight (laughs) (laughs) in his house, it's kind of like half and half all the way through to the end. Yeah, Yeah, that movie, like actually gets sort of brutal there for it a does. while oh, like it it's, does. It, it's so uh, it's so different such 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 a contrast to what we've been seeing and everything it could be off-putting i think a lot of these these movies that switch genres or whatever um i think that's going to be your initial reaction is yeah. that it's off-putting yeah and then it only after you in retrospect will you be able to say you know what that actually is a pretty good marriage by the end of it mm-hmm. so i you know the next movie that does that we're gonna be like god you know fi- figure out what you're gonna be motherfucker like the fucking the last jedi yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> two movies in one yeah like the ca- like the cable guy is kind of like that too yep. where it, it feels like it's supposed to be this big manic jim carrey comedy but it starts getting real like scary yeah and uh and so and that was a movie that forever i was just like this just doesn't work and it and then after a while you start finding out that you watch it all the time and now you know all the lines and you're, <laughs> oh it's actually pretty good fun fact when they're playing porno password uh-huh. one of the relatives on the couch is bob odenkirk ah. oh he's the he's the husband of of uh steven's sister i think so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And I don't even know if he has a line. He might have like one line, but it, he was, <laughs> it was clearly back in his. He was a writer mostly, but not a performer huh. days. Yeah, because he was a writer on Saturday Night Live for a while, yeah. and then he only really started performing when he was on the Ben Stiller show. Yeah, and which of course is why he's so there's in a connection. Movie. Owen Wilson, also all these people that you see in Cable Guy are kind of strung in, or mm. Ben Andy Stiller. Dick. Yeah, Andy yeah. Dick. The password is. <laughs> nipple <laughs> i'm not going to say that to my mother <laughs> um i thought a lot about Shaun of the dead for this one mm-hmm. because i think there's legitimate like horror elements in in yeah. Shaun of the dead and then it's just hilarious otherwise but i love crimes and misdemeanors mm-hmm. again divorcing woody allen out of the conversation uh the person but crimes and misdemeanors if you if you watch it again man this is a really rewatchable movie because on the the surface of it, it's a comedy on one side following Woody Allen's character and he's fawning all over Mia Farrow and everything. And on the other side, you've got this drama, this murder mystery. It's not a murder mystery, but this, this uh, murderous plot, almost yeah. like Match Point, where Martin Landau is paying to have his mistress killed by his brother. 
Um, and okay, yeah, and those are entertaining. And yeah. then one side is a typical Woody Allen film. You know, he's he's on the hook for this commercial like documentary for Allen, all this character. And then you know the the other one is just more dramatic. And it's Martin Landau. Just oh, he's so gr- brilliant in this. But he's you know struggling with this decision and the the, the consequences of it and everything. And then when you get to the end of this movie, I love the end of this movie. Yeah. Where no repercussions have come of the crime. Mm-hmm. Um, he's fucking on top of the world, mm-hmm. Martin Landau's character is. He's just like, you know, everything's going well. And then uh, Cliff, the uh, Woody Allen character, is at his lowest form. He's been fired from the documentary. Mia Farrow's married the dude mm-hmm. that he hated. Yeah. And he's being essentially punished by the universe or God. And Martin Landau's just like, I'm fucking good, man. Alan Hall is so fucking great in that <laughs> yeah, movie. He's so great. He's yes, so perfect in that. such a scumbag. Oh, my God. Uh, but, yeah, I agree with you because it's one of those movies that you're like, how does these stories match up together at all? And they don't. They're they're not. They don't really. They yeah, don't, they're connected by like a rabbi. They're never connected. Yeah, 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 they're just. It's just all to get them. Did you the, say a rabbi? Yeah, there's a rabbi. It's uh, Sam Watterson, and that uh, that yeah, uh, that plays. A, um, yeah, because Jerry Orbach and Sam Watterson are in this movie, which mm-hmm, is weird. Yeah, an order thing. Huh. Uh, but yeah, he's he's one of Martin Landau's patients, and then he ends up being connected with Woody Allen, and okay. they meet at a party. Um, like a wedding or something like that at the end of the movie. And they sit on this couch together and you think because of the trajectory of the stories, like halfway through, like Landau's going to prison. Mm. Alan's going to figure out some way to, to escape the situation. And then, you know, it's totally reversed. And the whole, you know, moral of the story is that, you know, that you've an in- indifferent universe that doesn't reward or punish anybody. It's just completely random. Mm-hmm. And that is fucking great. Yeah, That's why it's, it's great, probably one of his, his best movies. It's a great narrative experiment mm-hmm. and everything because you, because those, that's what sort of plays on your expectations. You're expecting these two stories to sort of interweave in some way. Yeah, exactly. And they, they really don't. That's yeah. just, it's just uh, the way he wanted to tell the story. And it's really fun. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Uh, what movie related song and or film score would you most want to have played at your funeral? Ooh. This is a dark ass question. It is. You are essentially asking us to ponder our own deaths for mm-hmm. a moment. I'd just like to put that out there. Take a couple seconds, process that. Don't ask me any any dark questions like this for a few weeks, please. Okay. All right. So let's go on. What do you got, Chris? Um, so uh, you familiar with uh, Everybody's Free to Feel Good from Romeo and Juliet, yeah. where the uh, the uh, the kid has this amazing voice in mm-hmm. the in the middle of it, where it says, you know, everybody's free to feel good. You know, and mm-hmm. it's that's the way I would feel like. Uh, I'd want people to to feel when they're at my funeral is everybody's free to feel good. You don't have to mourn this at all. Mm. You know, that type of thing. Uh, it's an interesting history of the song, by the way, because this is a 1992 hit from uh, Rosala. Huh. Rosala did this one song where it's just, it's basically this like early nineties electronic type of music. Like everybody's free. <laughs> you know, that's how it basically goes in Romeo and Juliet. They turn it into this really beautiful, like, you know, this really beautiful song, really slow and, mm-hmm. and, uh, whatever. And, uh, that's the song that I know. Uh, I didn't really know this Rosala one. I typed in, I typed in the song to look up some history and everything. And, uh, I ran across, this one girl, her name is Louisa Johnson, and she was on the X Factor. Hmm. 
and she belted the fuck out of the song. Really? Oh my god, I I was entranced by mm. it. I started looking up all sorts of Louisa Johnson stuff after that. She's a fucking amazing. I was sitting there, I was listening to that. I listened to the next song that she, it was listening to one of the other YouTube things that she's on. She's only 17 when she does this. Wow. Huh. Um I was li- I was listening to another one and I was like, "Well, she won, right? <laughs> who's going to who's going to beat beat her?" She definitely won. I mean, it was like no questions asked. Interesting. She won, she won the X Factor. It was like 2015 when she huh. did this. But uh, I love that Romeo and Juliet one. That one in that X Factor. Oh, my God. I was just like, my jaw fucking dropped. and got chills. Definitely listen to that. It's so good. And, and she was good on all that. I've listened to some of the other stuff that apparently she's done as a, as a solo artist now. And she's not doing that type of... We need another pop diva, man. We yeah. need another Mariah Carey. Somebody like Kelly Clarkson. She just released an album. Well, yeah, Kelly Clarkson isn't Mariah Carey, and people can belt out a, a like a sort of a like a big huge song. Adele. Adele is Adele is our our current one. I, I think. think she's the best singer going right now. Yeah, for sure. But we need another one. We need someone to come in and 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 try to dethrone Adele. To, you know, <laughs> show her who's boss from, from time to time. I don't think this girl probably has <laughs> show her who's boss. I don't think I don't know if this girl has a better. I mean, a voice that rivals Adele. Hardly anybody does. Right. Uh, but holy shit. I, I'm like, now I got to find everything that she's done because that's how good it was. Yeah, I got to wow. check that out. That was some praise. Mm-hmm. All right, again, I'm answering with two answers because I, I legitimately have not yet made up my mind if I want to have a traditional funeral or if I want to fuck with people. <laughs> so one idea I have had for a while that I don't think I would do is to record a video of myself speaking to the audience mm-hmm. at my own funeral and then just update it every year or two. In case, in case I die in between. Do the Donald Sutherland thing in Beer Fest? Yeah, yes. <laughs> but much like you, I, I, there's part of me that wants people to be able to feel good at my funeral mm-hmm. and not be sad, even though that's human nature. Um, <clears throat> and so I feel like something goofy would get people laughing. Because mm-hmm. uh, you know they have that whole gallows humor thing at a funeral that you're more likely to laugh that day at something small than another day because your emotions are running high. Um, so I thought maybe like the entertainer from the movie The Sting would mm-hmm. really fuck with people. Yeah. Like you have get people give testimonials about how much they love me or whatever the fuck. No one's going to say that. Um, <clears throat> and then when they're done, everybody sits there and they're ready for the song and it's like... And I think people would slowly begin to chuckle and giggle. But if I'm going serious and I want to allow them to wallow in the sadness that is a life without Jeremy, I think I'd probably go with that Max Richter on the Nature of Daylight piece from Arrival. Which... I have found I have to stay away from. It's a beautiful piece of music, but if I put it on YouTube, I can palpably feel myself getting sad Hmm. by the time it's done. Like It just hits my emotions in the right way and builds so gradually, uh, and it's just so haunting yet pretty. Um, So yeah, if if, if we're going to have a sad song, I think I'd I'd have that. The problem is it's like six minutes long. People are going to be sitting there like twiddling their thumbs or or watching a really long slideshow pictures of me. Um, But those are my answers. When my grandmother died, uh, I was tasked with putting a a CD together, three songs to play at the funeral. And she, you know, had a a couple. It was like um, 
It was I'll Fly Away was one of them, all like standards and things like that. One was a slow ballad, and uh, one was uh, um, When the Saints Go Marching In. Mm-hmm. And when I when I got to the thing, I was using like Napster or something like that and burning it onto a CD, and I was like, I found this like upbeat New Orleans jazz thing of When the Saints. And I put that motherfucker on there. Awesome. And of course, the first two songs are low, and, and everybody's you know you see the the front just crying and you know down. And then, and I see my parents just shaking. And I'm like, oh, God, are they angry or are they crying? They were fucking laughing their asses off. Awesome. So everybody had a good time. I think my grandmother would have liked it. That's the best of both worlds, though. <laughs> yeah. You give them the sad, and then you hit them with the goofy. Exactly. Like, I'll play the really sad strings. They'll be weepy, and then I'll hit them with that little ragtime on your way out. My short answer is there's a song called Drown from the Smashing Pumpkins that's interweaved throughout the movie Singles. And, of course, they use... Paul Westerberg's um, Waiting for Somebody mm-hmm. uh, throughout the whole thing. But towards the latter half, they've, they've got this Yeah. It's such a good lick. I fucking love that song. And, it, and it's a long song. No and it's about where you are. It's, it's my favorite Smashing Pumpkins song. It goes on for, I think, seven, eight minutes or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, it gets but loud at the end, though, it doesn't does. it? It yeah. does. I fucking love it. Uh, but it's about, like, no matter where you are, I can still see you, you know, you're being connected to you and everything. I'd have that plan over like the, the, the eulogy or whatever, make it short. And then when the loud part comes in, everybody just kind of parties. Um, and I think it's just a fucking great song. It's, it's in like a major key, which is different from, uh, for smashing pumpkins in that era. And it's just, it's just fun. Like, it's just like a party type of thing towards the end of it. I can still hear you when you, that's my Billy Corgan. <laughs> that is actually, a very good. It's actually pretty good. If you take all of the bass out of your voice, then you will have Billy <laughs> All right, let's do one more quick one here. Oh, this is fun. What is a random, odd, unexplainable, or just plain weird instance of censorship that you've seen in a TV version of a movie? Uh, this person's example was he was watching Unbreakable on AMC, and during a scene where the camera was panning across the kitchen table, uh, I noticed that the label of the orange juice was blurred. That's fucked Yeah, it's so weird, isn't it? <laughs> I guess so. I, I, I never understood that a lot. Like, you, you see that a lot on MTV shows sometimes where somebody's wearing some sort of branded shirt. Yeah, like a Yankees ball cap yeah, or something like something that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Like, yeah, sometimes it's it's because it says shit on it or something like right. that, and they have to blur that out. <laughs> but, like, uh, most of the time, I think it's just brands. And yeah, it's like, like oh, Jordash. Yeah, don't want to for that. some reason, they can't show the brand. Okay, whatever. Um, I don't, as a rule, I don't watch edited for television movies. Mm-hmm. I can't, it's it's a waste of time. Uh, there, there are a, f- a few exceptions, I guess. If, like, there's a movie I want to have on in a background and it just happens to be on AMC or uh, something like that, IFC, I'll, I'll, well, IFC doesn't even edit there. So, no, they just um, have commercials. Yeah. AM, AMC, though, yeah, if you put something on, I'm like, okay, yeah. I hate it, though, when stuff is just cut out and stuff, not just stuff that's offensive, but it's just stuff for time. And that just pisses me off. Um, But there was a time when I was a kid, I couldn't watch some certain R rated movies and everything like that. And that's the way you watched those movies was by edited for television and uh, RoboCop as one of the funniest things in it, because there's a scene where Miguel Ferrer is at the urinal and his boss is in the bathroom with him and the ba- the boss comes up behind Miguel Ferrer and he's basically like 
you know, like, I'm, I'm on to you. I know you want my job and all that and everything. And he's basically saying, he's, he's basically saying, yeah, the, I remember doing that with my boss. We used to call him so many names behind his back and we'll go through these list of names. And, and then one is like, we even called him asshole. <laughs> it's one of them. Like it's <laughs> supposed to be some big, huge thing or whatever. Um, in the uh, edited for television version, uh, it was one time we called him a lot worse. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Um, that's the that's one of the biggest ones. Uh, in in Tremors, the the funny thing about that is that they change "fuck you." Kevin ba- Bacon like kills one of the Tremors, uh-huh. and like uh, he's like "fuck you" or whatever. They change it to fooled you uh, that's a funny there one but go. it's not an innocuous one right. like you have to change that like <laughs> a, like asshole it like you can change that to jerk or yeah. butthole or anything <laughs> a, but, you know, lot a lot worse. worse um obviously and i know that you guys aren't going to be talking about this one but the famous one that's going on right now is the big lebowski it's been for several years people have been talking about how the scene where john goodman tells the kid um you know this is what happens when you fuck a stranger in the ass yeah it's been changed to this is what happens when you find a stranger in the alps <laughs> that's pretty stupid so they just did that yeah. on purpose right yeah they had to yeah. in fact that's probably you would almost have to figure the coens themselves came up with that <laughs> if, if you're gonna censor it it has to be the most ludicrous shit right ever. yeah exactly so <laughs> i mean that's a that's a big thing um and i'm sorry to keep talking here but these the, the censorship things and what they decide to censor and what they don't is really fascinating to me a lot of times and on in a music in music sublime santeria uh-huh. on the radio they used to cut out punk ass uh-huh. and like there was they, I know I'd heard songs say ass mm-hmm. and and everything. In they before. used to play that Dennis Leary, I'm an asshole song on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't understand why do they cut out punk ass? Yeah. And it's not like they really do it. You can still almost hear it the way they do it. You know, for his punk ass. You know, it's, <laughs> it's kind of changing. But in, in the MTV video version, they'd keep punk ass. But any references to guns, they'd cut out. So uh. Daddy's Got a New 45 became Daddy's Got a New. <laughs> and that's how it ends. You're like, what the fuck, man? For, really? You, you think you're advertising guns? Because oh, okay. this is this pretty much defines me as a person. But one of my favorite things about having satellite radio, which I've only had for like a year now, mm-hmm. is all the cussing. Yeah. In, oh, the, nice. in the songs, I don't get any bleeps. I don't get Eminem stuff doesn't get bleeped. Uh, the fucking DJ today, I was driving down here and he was reading a promo for the new holiday music channel and he was like, eh, it's not even Thanksgiving, but we're already singing Jingle Bell because we like to get that shit out early. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, he said shit. Awesome. Uh, do you have more? No. That, that's um, so I, I think I've talked about this before, but when Tropic Thunder's on TV, the whole you never go full special conversation <laughs> really bothers me because I understand they are word is offensive, but. You are still collectively labeling mentally ill people or mentally challenged people with a single word yeah. that is derogatory. Mm-hmm. You, wh- whether you're calling them the R word or special or stupid or slow, it's still the same thing. Yeah. And the movie is not saying this. These delusional actors within the movie mm-hmm. who probably would talk about it like this are saying this. Yeah. Anyway, that, that one always bothers me. I swear. 
the, one of the first times I ever saw The Matrix on TV, that scene early on when the dude comes to Neo's apartment and the chick's got the white rabbit tattoo, and he's like, yeah, it's called mescaline. It's the only way to fly. Mm-hmm. I swear to God, I saw it replaced with meditation. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> it's called meditation, and it's the only way to fly. And I was like, well, okay. I mean, there's not a lot of multiple <laughs> syllable M words you could slide in there and, in place of mescaline. And and uh, it's, it's not a appropriate meditation no. you don't do that to go up no but i mean what are you gonna do what are you gonna change it to uh, like uh i don't know anyway um, it's called muscle relax it's called medicine medicine, medicine. <laughs> yes you fixed it that's it Good job. do the chris atkinson version so i watch i watch the godfather even though i talk about it all the time i watch the godfather start to finish probably once every year mm-hmm. because it comes on amc and it depends. Sometimes they play the entire Godfather saga, which we've talked about before, is awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then sometimes it's just Godfather 1 followed by Godfather 2. So Godfather 1, you know, I, I, I never know what the rules are for network television or cable television or anything like that, where if it's progressed in the last year or something like that. So when Michael goes over to Italy and he finds, he gets struck by the, the Thunderbolt and uh, he Apollonia. finds his new, yeah, he finds Apollonia, his Italian wife. And she's doesn't even talk to him. I don't think they even have a conversation before they actually get married. And when they do get married, he's going around and talking to her whole family. And when they finally get together, they get in the room the day of their wedding. Mm-hmm. And he's they're going to get it on. Mm-hmm. And so Michael, you know, he's walking up to her. And she, she's got this you know, nightgown on. And in the unedited thing, she takes it off and she, you know, she lets it go. And it shows her, her she's nude. So she's, she's naked. Yes. Mm-hmm. And... AMC fucking takes that shit up to the last split second to where I'm like, I'm fucking fooled every time. I'm like, are they going to show that? <laughs> like, because you could cut that whole scene out. Yeah, you, cut, you don't You, you don't cut need. it when he starts to walk towards her. You, they, it, yeah, she, the you don't need the scene. coming down. That's yeah. crazy. And like, boom, then it cuts off. I was like, fuck. Yeah. That's, of, that's, I'm there. You know they had a discussion about that, right? <laughs> you know they're like they were probably somebody just like you in the in the office banging his head against the <laughs> table, saying we do not need to go all the way up to this point. <laughs> and then there's probably somebody else going, but we got to show as much of the movie as we can. <laughs> But it gets me every time too yeah. because it's so close. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You have your penis out. You're ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's from the seventies. You know, that's considered a classic. You can show that shit. Yeah, seventies boobs. Yeah, seventies boobs. Uh, all right, uh, that's going to do it for this week. Uh, keep going to uh, SoundCloud. Keep going to Sincast uh, presented by Cinema Sense Facebook page. Uh, uh, Jeremy's manning our Twitter. Uh, we've got uh, Reddit. We've got email. We've yeah, got a baby. lot of different ways to talk to us. You can find us. That's right. Uh, but uh, just keep going to to that stuff and uh, giving us your questions, giving us your critiques, giving us all those different types of things that we love to read. Give us your NFL betting picks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> your do lock you, of the week would be nice. Do you, yeah. Do you need the future? Do you, do you have? Do you know the future? Please tell me the future yes. so that I can just. Uh, Win like Biff Tannen. Put some money on the Cubbies. That's right. Uh, maybe next year, right? We're, we're back to that on <laughs> yes, the Cubs. Maybe next, next year. year. Yeah. It'll um, be that way for 100 years. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, that'll do it for this week. It's Chris Atkins and Jeremy Scott and Barrett Sher. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasends.com.
was I was listening to an NPR report on the opioid crisis. You know how states are putting funding towards it. The federal government's not really doing much. Mm-hmm. And then I switched over, and uh, I would die for you is on the Prince song. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, like, what better advertisement do you have for ending opioid dependence than fucking Prince dying? Yeah, no kidding. Just put him up there and be like, this killed Prince. Yeah. And I bet you could get a fuck ton of funding, at least in Minnesota. You're probably going to have to be like, this killed uh, Toby Keith. You know, (laughs) (laughs) Well, I already missed the first laugh of the day. (laughs) Bastards. This killed Kid Rock. (laughs) Exactly. Find a way. People will believe it. Hey, do you like that new Imagine Dragons song? Thunder? Yeah. No. Ooh, I hate it so much. I don't hate it. I just don't really like it. I like the... Is that thunder? Give me thunder. I hate that song. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They say that word like fucking 50 times. Yeah. Yeah. There's that... uh, I don't even want to say the name of it. There's a song that plays on one of those channels, a pop song from like a year ago that repeats... It's that Geronimo song. It's going to be stuck in my head all day now. Geronimo? Yeah, the chorus is like, Hey, Geronimo! Hey, Geronimo! They say Geronimo like 62 oh, times. Uh, say Geronimo. Mm-hmm. Say Geronimo. Oh, yeah. I forget yeah. who that was. Yeah. Uh, sh- uh, shepherd's Pie? <laughs> <laughs> I thought I thought from... <laughs> it's Shepherd. <laughs> Look it up. It's Shepherd something. Wasn't it? Wasn't it? Was the was the uh, the the pop singer known as Geronimo? Is he the one who did Rico Suave and all? That, uh, that was uh, that was Gerardo. 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 Yes. Oh, Gerardo. Yeah, yeah. I wore that tape single out. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I love that shit. Rico Suave. <laughs> Suave. And then he they, was cut too, man. And then they did some sort of parody on the radio that was Taco. Grande. (laughs) (laughs) Say Geronimo one more goddamn time. (laughs) It is is literally Shepard. Okay, good. So I wasn't that far off. It's not (laughs) Shepard's Pie, though. I think you should change it. I saw a Humble Pie song playing on the radio on my way down here. It probably got mixed up. My wires crossed. So that was from 2014. Wow. Well, when I pass that on the dial, I can't even hear a note. I have to keep going or it's going to be stuck in my head all day. I won't play it for you, but um, we have 34 million views on YouTube. Lightning and the thunder. Dude, I was exhausted from yesterday. Um, just It was just a confluence of events and late edit and all that stuff. And then like this morning, I went to get coffee at like 6.30, 7 in the morning. And that fucking thunder song was on. Oh. And they've got this solo in the middle of it where it's like a theremin or something. Like it, it's not it's not like an actual guitar, but it's this droning like and it was just grating on my head. God. Fucking Oh my goodness. Imagine dragons. You ever played one? No, but Those I, are fun as hell. I bet they are. Yeah. They got demons in them. It ain't natural. <laughs> it ain't natural. <laughs> that is a cursed instrument right there. Each one personally cursed. Uh, we're doing composers again today. Lightning right? and the thunder. Yes, let's let's throw Dan Reynolds from Imagine Dragons in, in the discussion about I'm composers. Crazy. It surprises me you know his name. Well, there was there was a lot of think pieces when, um, what was their big hit? Uh, Radioactive came mm-hmm. out. They were saying, because it was on the top of the rock charts for like, months in what was that 
probably 2015. Yeah, yeah somewhere around there. And uh, they were like, so Imagine Dragons is the biggest band in, in rock right now. Quick, name the front man's name. Oh, <laughs> Nobody funny. knew it. it wasn't it Kings of Leon that said, fuck Imagine Dragons in concert? Wasn't it Kings of Leon? Really? They probably I were. I could see that. I'm pretty sure. They probably were. Yeah, they're ones to talk. Fucking Kings of Leon. It is Dan Reynolds. He's from Las nice. Vegas. Dan Reynolds. That's like a... I get Imagine Dragons and 21 Pilot songs confused all the time. Yeah, they're all they're both like percussive. They're almost the exact same band. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I I get. I think I get why you do that. Mm-hmm. But like, Imagine Dragons did that song at the end of the Magic movie. The I'm on top of the world. I'm on top of the world. Yeah. No, that's not them. That's uh, that's um. Oh, it is. It is them. <laughs> it is. <laughs> no, because I get them and the fucking one one Republic. Mm. Them confused. Yeah. Is it One Republic, the one, one, Republic. the one that wrote all of the songs? One Republic does did that. Uh, what did they do? I'll tell you what they do. They're, they do that. Counting Stars. But that's not what they're named. They're known for. This is how fucking interchangeable all this shit is. Stop and stare. The good life. The good, good life. Mm. Yeah, I'm not doing that justice at all. I was going to say that sounds good. not familiar at all. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not get me any closer. Anyway. <laughs> oh, it's got to be the good life. Got to be the good life. Maybe. Good, good life. Maybe. I think I've heard it. It's funny. All the other songs you named by them, I know way better than whatever the hell you're trying to sing now. <laughs> I think that Counting Stars is their biggest hit. Counting Stars is their biggest hit. I'm on top of the world. What was the magic movie that... Uh... The Incredible Burt Wonderstone. <laughs> Seriously, that song's at the end of that. Yes, movie. it is. Somehow, I've seen that movie like three or four times. Oh, really? Yeah, it's not unwatchable. It's just not as funny as it wants to be. Hold on one second, though. Jim Carrey's pretty funny. I think Jim Carrey's funny. I think the um, the part where Carell tries to do the the act that were definitely requires two people. Yes. By himself. Yes. That's funny. I like uh, Arkin too. Yeah. Uh, He's really funny. So that's a funny movie? No. No. You're not listening to what we're saying. Sorry. I've just never I've never seen it. It's not yeah, unwatchable. I think it got terrible reviews. I think if too. it came on and you were watching it, you would have a good time. <laughs> I could stick around for the Imagine Dragon song at the end. I'm on top of the world. Hey. It was also in it wasn't in Trolls. It was like in a Smurfs movie or something. Like no, that. I think it's been in like 16 movies. Angry Birds. It was Angry Birds that it was in. Mm, Excellent. Mm. Yeah, because they were literally on top of the mountain and subtleties for suckers. I'm on top of the yeah, mountain. Yeah, it's probably it's probably one of those songs now that's probably been in more movies than you think at yeah. this point. It's, it's probably kind of, in Neighbors. <laughs> yeah, it's probably in Neighbors for sure. Yeah, I uh, I was doing the uh comments on facebook of our syncast presented by cinema sense facebook page mm-hmm. and uh somebody from australia was like i wish you'd stop talking about nature box <laughs> because i can't get nature box because i'm in australia <laughs> and somehow some way we're gonna have to you know force the issue with nature box <laughs> yeah. here and make sure that australia can get some damn snacks let's do something stealth 
Like, mm-hmm. let's order like this massive box of snacks and then just reship it to Australia Ooh. and have somebody down there just like, I don't know, in the city square, just like throwing that shit out. Or, or if somebody gets in a biplane and throws it out of the plane. <laughs> now we're in a Johnny Depp movie. That's right. Like like their rescue supplies or something. <laughs> a Johnny, uh, are you thinking about Blow? I guess that's the only that's the first one that came to mind. Yeah. <laughs> that's not a very good movie to reference. But we did talk about crack earlier. Yeah, I so. guess so. I mean, it's that is either wasted or good. Yeah. And that first like horn hit ends up sounding like. <laughs> and now it's used in every. It used to be. Do you guys know Carmina Barana, the Carl Orff Orchestra? Mm. Uh, it's it's got like the O Fortuna. O Fortuna. Mm-hmm. Um, it was used in every trailer. In like the 70s and 80s and even into the 90s. And now the boom thing is used in, in every trailer. Yeah, I don't like it. Yeah. But whatever. <laughs> Trailers already suck anyway. So. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> John at 69. He's going to be 70 this month. Huh. Who? John Larroquette. Sure thought you said John Ritter, and I was going to have to give you some bad news. <laughs> yeah, some sad uh, news that's like, what, 15 years yeah. now? Well, that's, you know, <laughs> people miss things. Oh, I, yeah. I was like, it would have been funny. Like, I've been sitting there in mid-sentence, and I sort of been a thought, like, go, John Ritter, remember that guy? I mean, he, he hasn't done anything in a while. What's going on with that? He disappeared like Brendan Fraser. <laughs> yeah, so weird. Oh, oh man, I'm going to hell. You, yeah. just, you just killed Brendan Fraser. You did. Well, I didn't. That's the joke. Oh, dear. Hollywood did. Uh, that's that, <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's so true. That's, what, that's a nightmare scenario, right? Like we've published one of these, uh, one of these uh, things, and we've, you know, obviously they're four days old uh-huh. usually by the time they get to the published part, and the, something fucking happens. It's happened like twice. Well, it's happened. It the, like deaths have happened after we've talked about somebody, but not on the podcast. I think it's been after the podcast. Oh, okay. I thought there was at least one person. We didn't discuss them dying. We just discussed them, well, uh, and then yeah, they died it, like two days I, later. I, I I just remember, I can't remember the there was two people I know that Barrett and I were talking about like two weeks in a row. We talked about these people, John Hurt and uh, yeah, yeah, um, John a, Hurd. <laughs> that would be funny if we had talked about John Hurd. Uh, John, I, I think you did mention John Hurd. That's what I'm saying. Them. I think yeah. we talked about John Hurd. I, really. I don't know if Carrie he died Fisher right we after. talked about, too. Yeah, it might, yeah, it was something like that. So if Brendan Fraser dies between today and Monday, I sincerely apologize for any hand I may have played yeah, in that. Yeah, which you, you don't, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but that's the nightmare scenario. You sit there and you go, you know, like, last Thursday, like, like, let's say we were in here and we were like, man, I love Kevin Spacey so much. <laughs> the only guy I love more is Dustin Hoffman. Oh, yeah. Although, man, like, right after we posted that Woody Allen stuff, even though we qualified it, I think, beautifully, all that shit comes out about, like, him, apolo- yeah. him like, well, oh, I feel sorry for well, Harvey it, and all that shit. Well, that's the thing. He was like, I hope this doesn't become a witch hunt, which it is. I mean, right. now it is. It's going to be, I mean, it's going to be a a proper witch hunt yeah. but you know it's finding the actual witches right yeah. it's funny i still see i still see plenty of trolls on certain subreddits and what have you like what like at this point with harvey weinstein 90 women have accused him of harassment and i think eight or nine have accused him of outright rape mm. that's enough smoke for me yeah mm-hmm. you, i don't need to go see the fire to know like you don't don't Bring to the conversation innocent until proven guilty about this particular man. Yep. Yeah. Um, now, with Dustin Hoffman, we have 
one accuser. But, you know, we only had one with Kevin Spacey, and then two days went by, and now there are three. And now he's seeking treatment, according to a headline I saw today. I don't know how you seek treatment for being a pig. (laughs) 